We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 85 of the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. We've got a fun show for you guys. We're talking Carolina baseball, taking two of three games from the Clemson Tigers over the weekend. We'll break down that series in its entirety. Also, Carolina men's basketball getting a huge win over the Texas A&M Aggies to hold on to the number four spot in the SEC tournament race. We'll talk about that game, the Gamecocks postseason chances as well. Also, some other football news and notes and a very special interview with former Gamecocks infielder Drew Crisp as he breaks down his career at Carolina, relationship with Ray Tanner, going from Sarge Fry Field to Founders Park, and much, much more. Before we jump into all of that, this is a show presented to you by our YouTube page, The Spurs Up Show. We are on YouTube. We actually posted our first vlog ever uh, on Tuesday regarding the Carolina Clemson baseball series. I was actually able to go to all three games, document everything. It was a blast, as you can all imagine. So go to YouTube.com, search the Spurs Up show. Please be sure to go subscribe, like our videos, leave us some comments, uh, and leave us your feedback there as well. Again, that's YouTube.com and the Spurs Up show. Hit the subscribe button. We're also brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket-buying app by far. It's honestly the only ticket-buying app I use. I bought all my Carolina Clemson baseball tickets to it. And there's a ton of stuff upcoming for you to buy your tickets as well. We've got Carolina basketball, who plays a home game on Saturday. The SEC Women's Tournament, which is in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, the AAF, NHL, NBA, anything you can buy tickets to, be sure to go use SeatGeek. Again, they're the best ticket-buying app by far. They actually rate the tickets on a ticket rating system. So if you know, you know if you're getting a really, really good deal – uh, or if you're just kind of getting ripped off. Again, it's the only ticket-buying app I use. Go download SeatGeek. Use that promo code SPURSUP. You're actually going to get $10 off your first purchase. So, again, if you're going to any of the events I talked about, why not save yourself some money in the process? Again, that's promo code SPURSUP, S-P-U-R-S-U-P, uh, when you go use it at SeatGeek today. All right, let's get into it. I'm Chris Phillips. He's Thomas Floyd. Tom, good to be back. Obviously, a very fun weekend, and it's been a fun week, I can say. It honestly, I was thinking about this earlier. It feels like we haven't recorded in so long, but I think it's just so much has happened over the past week. I'll ask you, obviously, I was able to see you on Sunday. We had our live show before the Carolina Clemson game. Um, but, you know, how you been? How's everything going? Obviously, back in the swing of things with classes before you get to spring break. 
I mean, obviously it's a great weekend when you whip Clemson's ass, and that was something we haven't experienced in a while. And, I mean, I'm obviously not a big baseball guy like you are, not crazily into it, but getting to see them just pour on them all weekend was a fun experience. And then, I mean, other than that, I had a great weekend, and, you know, last week till spring break. So I'm, I'm struggling, but we're going to get there. Oh, yeah, no. I, I remember being in college, and it was like just the countdown to spring break. Normally I was yeah. playing baseball, but my last uh, year or two when I was just a student, it was definitely uh, definitely a time you look forward to. I remember a good old Panama City Beach trip I took one year that was uh, pretty epic. So we won't, we won't be talk. taking the trip to working all week. <laughs> I was going to say, we, we won't talk about that trip too, too much in detail. We don't, we don't need any of that to get out. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted you to talk about, Tom, because this happened over the last week on Friday night, um, you went to the QB1 Athletics Camp, which I know a lot of our followers are probably really familiar with. Um, you know, Stephen Garcia, Perry Orth, two former Carolina quarterbacks run it. Uh, just talk about, I mean, did you see anything worth of note at the QB1 Athletics Camp? Again, obviously, I know it was uh, – I think it, you said it was cut short due to rain, but how, how was that on Friday? Um, it, was a, it was a pretty fun experience. I mean, there were a lot of – that there were a lot better athletes than I expected to be out there, and that's not a dig at I wouldn't at the camp itself. I mean, I'm just you just usually don't see that many. I mean, I'm trying to think how to say this. There were a lot just straight up. There were a lot better athletes than I expected. There were a lot of kids who were who looked the part of being maybe a Division One or FCS maybe FCS ball players, and there was a lot of I can't remember exactly who the the coaches that other than Perry and Garcia. I think Jordan Diggs was out there he was a former Carolina player and then there were there was one or two other guys too that TJ Gurley I think was out there too but I mean it was a lot of fun to watch I only got to stay I only stayed for about half of it it started to rain and I didn't bring a raincoat and wasn't feeling like getting soaked watching the kids play but um no nah, they're definitely I think a lot of the kids that are out there Chris to be honest were probably more under the radar guys who are going to be getting offers more late and like from a Wofford or a Presbyterian or those FCS schools in the SOCON and I think a lot of those guys are you know maybe let's what's the East Carolina that AAF not is it the AAF the American American no the American football what's the you're talking about oh what conference are they it's the old yeah. uh it's the old uh conference USA right yeah, yeah I was I don't know why I was going American I'm thinking of the AAF but um Anyway, I would expect them to get some maybe from those lower schools that just joined Conference USA, maybe some offers from there if I had to guess. But there are some good-looking athletes out there. I mean, you can't deny it. It was fun to watch Perry and Garcia out there in their element. One thing that was kind of funny is that it was raining and the field was wet, but Garcia was out there in no shoes on, like had completely barefoot just running around. I'm like, how would you just be able to – I couldn't do that on a wet football, football practice field, but I don't know. It was a fun experience, though. I'm glad I got to go out there. That's why Garcia's a legend. No, I'm, I'm glad you win. I mean, obviously, Perry and Steven, two friends of ours, friends of the show. And, I, you know, I talked to Garcia last week, and he, he was saying how he would welcome us out there. So, definitely would have been out there with you. But, obviously, South Carolina Clemson over the weekend, which I'm going to go ahead and segue into. Again, we talked about Carolina takes two or three from Clemson. I want to start because I was at all three games over the weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, you know, Go ahead and start with Friday. I mean, I'll tell you, Tom, it was uh, it was it was very interesting. You know, over the weekend, weather was very interesting. One thing I'll say, kind of, I left Charlotte on Friday. It was pouring rain in Charlotte. Um, the games, everybody knows, was moved back thirty minutes due to rain. I didn't actually find that out until I got there. Um, but it was so funny, as people saw in the vlog. You know, I, it, you know, I, it's when you go to a, it's, it's much different than going to a football game. You know what I mean? Like you normally see a lot of visiting fans that are there and 
I didn't really know what to expect as far as um, when I pulled up, I was like, you know, I'll probably see a few Gamecock tailgates or Gamecock fans. Literally no one when I first pulled up. I'm literally parking, I felt like, in the middle of – like in the middle of the most pro-Clemson parking lot you can imagine. Like I'm surrounded, just straight up surrounded by Clemson fans. And I'm like, oh, my God, I've got this SC, SC sticker on the back of my car. Like my car is already like a garnet color, it looks like. Like I'm just asking – for trouble here but no got there Friday um one thing I want to say before I talk about the games to everybody that said what's up to everybody that um you know reached out to me while I was at the games you know had positive things to say about the Spurs up show the work we're doing I really really do appreciate it um for the people that took some pictures with me if you want to tag me in those because I haven't seen any um <laughs> I mean I just kind of like to see them just for fun but uh no I really do appreciate everybody that reached out and you know, the kind words and everybody, you know, just being so hospitable. It was very, very cool and, you know, definitely gives gives me and gives us the uh, the reassurance that what we're doing is, you know, is good work. So that was really, really awesome. Meeting all the people I met was a lot of fun. Um, but the game itself, Friday, I mean, what, what an interesting game. Again, the game gets moved back 30 minutes. Um, you know, Carmen Majinski breaking his foot. I mean, that, that was insane. Um, <clears throat> I couldn't exactly see – I couldn't exactly see what happened with Carmen. I I'd heard somebody tell me he landed weird, and I, but I've never heard of a guy literally landing on his plant foot and breaking his foot. I've never heard of yeah, such a thing I've before. Never seen that either. Yeah, but I mean, just a crazy game. I mean, South Carolina comes out, you're down two nothing after the first inning. You're thinking to yourself, well, here we go. It it could be a long night, and South Carolina comes back, and, you know, just responds in a big way. I mean, Andrew Eister. I mean, that that first game, you know, he had the bomb to right center field, which I was lucky enough to record and get in my vlog. I mean, that bomb he had to right center field, he was he was pissing all over the ball that first game. And really the whole series, he was pissing all over the ball. T.J. Hopkins, obviously, we're going to get to him in just a second, but he had the two-run homer. Or, excuse me, no, it was the three-run homer. Excuse me, to uh, get, give Carolina the lead. You know, obviously the monster weekend he had. Again, I'll address that in a second. But overall, just such a back-and-forth game. And obviously the hero of that game has got to be Brett Carey. I mean, just what he did on the mound coming out, shut down, really reminded me of like a David Price – or excuse me, David Price, Matt Price-esque performance, just coming in and really shutting the door for South Carolina, getting a huge 5-4 to four win at their place. And really, you know, I thought setting the tone for the series for Carolina. I can tell you, Tom, that, you know, unfortunately, I've never – you know, I've been to – I think it's two South Carolina-Clemson football games in Clemson. I've never been lucky enough to see South Carolina win in Clemson, um, but I was able – and honestly, this may be the first sporting event I've ever been to where South Carolina beat Clemson in Clemson because I, I can't think of another one. I genuinely think this is actually the first one. I can tell you this. There's I refuse to ever go up there to watch a sporting event. Except well, I'll, and you know what? That's what a lot of people told me, but I can tell you this. Baseball's not quite as bad. And, again, I would maybe have a much different opinion had we lost, but – Baseball's not – as everybody knows, it's obviously not nearly as intense. I mean, the intensity was still high. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you had Brady Allen literally hushing the crowd in left field, which I just want to say was one of the most savage things I've ever seen on a baseball field. Unfortunately, my first thought was not that because there was nobody out. He catches the ball. And, it, I mean, it felt like a 10-second pause because of just the moment, like, you know – in a game like that, you know, everything's moving so quickly and you're like, so you're hanging on every pitch. I mean, I told somebody there that uh, actually met up with a guy from D1Baseball.com that was in town. Uh, I told him, you know, this is like a super regional feel. Like, you're hanging on every single pitch. Like, this isn't some casual sit back in your seat, you know, just let the game play out. I mean, fans, you're into every single pitch. So, like, 
when he caught that, I'm thinking, like, my first thought is, does he think there's two outs? Like, I thought he thought there were two outs. And then he throws it in, and I saw what he did. And I was like, oh, and my first thought was, Coach Kingston's literally going to rip him a new asshole. And I guess he didn't because he stayed in the game, and we'll never know the conversation he had in the dugout. But, no, that was very, very, very funny. But, no, I mean, coming out of their place, man, with a win, I mean, it was – it was as sweet as you can imagine. I mean, just, yeah. You could hear a literally hear a pin drop walking out of that place. And I had a lot of people asking about, you know, were there a lot of South Carolina fans in Clemson? And I wouldn't say there were a lot. I mean, Carolina fans had their own little square kind of in the, the stands or whatever. I mean, I guess there was a fair amount. But, again, I wouldn't say a lot, but they were so loud. That was the thing. I South Carolina fans do when something good happened, when we hit a home run or whatever, God, it, I mean – South Carolina fans were losing their shit. Like, it was so, so loud. That was the one thing I remember is just how loud the fans were. But, I mean, to start the series off on that note, you know, get the game one win obviously was huge. And, you know, I talked about time before the series. We'll move into game two. You know, South Carolina and the Greenville game. I, I called that game the X factor. You know, I, th- I said South Carolina would win two of three. and But I called that game the X factor. I thought that game was super, super important for Carolina. Um you know, you started as hot as you can, you know, up 2 nothing. T.J. Hopkins again with a two-run homer. Uh, one thing I want to say about this game, it was a blast streaming this game for you guys. I know the stream messed up, which is shocking, right? SEC Network messed up the stream. I, yeah, I South mean, Carolina I, stream. God, so hard to fathom, right? It's crazy. Can't believe that happened. But was able to stream, I guess, the first inning or two for you guys, which uh, – I'm not going to lie, that was pretty fun. <laughs> that was pretty fun to have. I'm not going to lie to you, Tom. It's pretty fun to look down and see like 500 people tuned in at one time and you yeah, know they're listening crazy. to everything you're saying. Like, I was just like, holy shit. <laughs> like, all these people who's <laughs> in sitting here, I'm sitting here trying to commentate, like, let everybody know what's going on. I got people like every two seconds, what's the score? How many outs? What's going on? It was so funny. And then I actually had somebody tell me, Tom, you can. You can uh, chime in on this. I had somebody tell me, they're like, you should just do this for every game. They're like, you and Tom should just commentate every game. I was like, yo, I'd do it. I mean, kick I mean, out, kick out Birch Antley and Kip Balknight. Oh, I'd, yeah. I'd commentate every game, no doubt. They put us in the booth, yeah. I mean, it would be kind of hard for us to be in the stands <laughs> and, like, live stream the game. No, no, it would be impossible, dude. It killed my battery. That was the only thing I was mad about is that, you know, I had the GoPro out and it kind of killed the battery, but – no, anyway, just getting to the game, though. I mean, you know, not the start that, uh, you know, you needed Dylan Harley to pitch well. Um, he has another start where he only goes two and two-thirds. So, Dylan Harley literally hasn't made it out of the fourth inning, I don't think, this year. He hasn't made it out of the fourth inning. No, um, no. Two and two-thirds, four hits, four runs, three earned, three walks, two strikeouts. I didn't think he was terrible. I really didn't think he was terrible. And maybe I'm just defending him because I want to see him do so well because I just know how good he can be. I mean, he's a lefty. Again, I've said it over and over again. He's a lefty throwing 94-95 that has ridiculous stuff. And, I mean, let's you know, he's a true freshman. To be put in the Carolina-Clemson rivalry in that type of game in a place where South Carolina hasn't won in what feels like forever in that venue, it's, it's a tough ask for any freshman. I mean, we saw John Gilreath pitch at Clemson last year, and honestly, he had the same type of outing. So, I mean – I'm not going to judge Dylan Harley too much off of that outing, but, you know, we'll talk about in a sec. But with SEC play coming up, you obviously got to figure out your Friday and Saturday guys. But I thought Dylan Harley did a lot better job of pitching a contact. I just thought Clemson has a pretty good lineup. They got a pretty decent lineup in Clemson. Um, But, yeah, I mean, obviously, long story short, I mean, the Saturday game just doesn't turn out the way you want. Greenville bites South Carolina again. 
Um, the one thing I can say, Tom, is I'm very, very excited that the neutral site game is getting out of Greenville. Yeah. I mean, I, listen, I had a great time, too. I, I really do like – I think the city of Greenville, I've only been there three or four times, and I've been – two of those times was last year and this year I went to the Greenville game. Greenville is an awesome place. Like, the city is awesome. Floor Field is top-notch, one of the best in minor league baseball. Red Sox Downtown's awesome. Was it? Yeah, yeah. Was able to meet up with Michael Roth before the game. He lives up there. I mean, a lot of – I mean, I had a great time and a great day, but, you know, just the – the fan disparity. I mean, it was it was solid 70-30 Clemson to Carolina fans. Yeah. And I actually, you know what's funny? I had a – I was having a conversation with a Carolina fan that I can't remember his name, but I met that uh, supports the Spurs Up show that, you know, supports us pretty heavy. And I was just talking to him, and a guy overheard me, and the guy kind of chimed in. He actually worked for ESPN Upstate. So, I don't think he had a dog in the fight. I mean, he may have been an alum or a fan of one of the two teams, but I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have known. So, he was from ESPN Upstate, and he was like, he was like, oh, do you, he's like, what do you think the crowd disparity is like? I was like, honestly, I think it's like 70-30 Clemson. I was like, it's at least 65-45. And he was like, oh, okay. He was like, yeah, because I was walking on the Clemson side, and he was like, honestly, I thought it was like 90-10 Clemson fans, and on this side, it's like 50-50. And I was like, yeah, that math doesn't really add up there <laughs> so yeah. like so it's it sad. definitely wasn't a 50 50 crowd i mean it felt like a clemson home game i mean there's no nah, doubt I mean, about it and again five minutes from clemson dude like it's obvious yeah well, and i mean i think a lot of it's also got to do with the fact that clemson you know before sunday happened i mean clemson had dominated south Carolina in every major sport from 2000 what what is it 14 or 15 to now yeah. i mean the espn upstate guy actually made a comment he, he's like i think south Carolina fans are in hiding and i was like wow and honestly, my response to him, and I, you know, I don't know if I just kind of snapped back. I was like, man, I, honestly, I don't think South Carolina fans should ever be in hiding because this is a great program. We've got two national championships. Like, there's nothing to be. I don't care if we lose a hundred series in a row to Clemson. Like, there, there's nothing. There's no reason for Gamecock fans and not, you know, to have any reason to feel like they need to hang their head. But the, the rivalry is that important. We get that. The rivalry is that important, and. I think it definitely had something to do with that, but I'll be ecstatic to see that game move to Columbia. Just get out of Greenville. Just get out of Greenville for a year. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, for, to me, I just don't think it's fair to South Carolina fans for it to be in Greenville. I've spent three or four years in a row, haven't it now? Yeah, I mean, it's no, it's been a while. I mean, I remember, I remember going back to Carolina, Clemson, and Greenville in like 2011. I mean, it's been forever. But that's I'm the not. thing I'll say though is that 2010 to 2013 or 14, even. South Carolina fans weren't complaining about Greenville because, one, South Carolina was winning the series, and, two, yeah. South Carolina was winning the Greenville game. And so, I mean, it, it definitely, you, you know, and I think that's honestly the only reason fans complain so much to get the game moved is because of the lack of success there. I personally, and I'm maybe a little – I'm definitely a little bit biased in this. I'd love to see the neutral site game in North Augusta, which is where – I think it should be – I mean, in my opinion, I think you should move it every year and it be in, like, Charleston, Myrtle Beach, North Augusta, right. Greenville, Columbia. I mean, like, wherever. Just I think it should go all across the state because I don't because there are fans from both teams right, in right. the Myrtle Beach, in the Charleston, in, in Augusta, and you could feel that state, all those well, states. Well, you know, I'll tell you this, and this maybe wouldn't be popular to people, but if you really just want to solve the problem, just get rid of the neutral site game and do alternating home series each year. So, three at Carolina two. this year – three at Clemson next year, three – you know what I'm saying? Like, I'd be – honestly, I would be okay with that. I really would be okay with that just because, I mean, it would suck the years you're on the road. But, I mean, then you get three three games at home. I mean, so if you want to solve the neutral site problem at least, you could do that. But, anyways, 
get into the game, I mean, South Carolina, again, 11-5 to loss. I mean, it was, it was ugly all the way around. Um, the one thing that obviously I didn't talk about this uh, in the Daily Crow on Monday that, you know, I think would have been maybe a little bit bigger of an issue had we lost, you know, winning cures everything, right, Tom? I mean, you, yeah. there's, there's little things you're not going to focus on when you, you get the result you want, I guess you could say. But, you know, to me, I thought South Carolina should approach Saturday as a, you know, must-win mentality. I mean, throwing your best guys, like, we've got to win today. We can't worry about tomorrow. We need to win today. Um, because you had, you know, you had won the first game and lost the series, I think, like two years in a row. And that's the last thing you wanted to happen, you know, in my opinion, was to come into Sunday and face a must-win situation. I didn't – I thought South Carolina's pitching strategy was sort of interesting in that, you know, no offense to the guys that came out first for Carolina, but I didn't think they went to their best arms first um, out of the bullpen, which, you know, again, I, I didn't – I'm not saying those guys aren't good. Don't get me wrong. I think they're very good and very capable, but – you know, they're not your top guys. So, yeah. that was kind of interesting to me. That was, you know, I, you know, I, I don't really know. I mean, obviously, Skylar Mead and Mark Kingston know way, way more than I do. So, they, they had a plan, and it obviously worked. But, uh, obviously, you face a tough loss there, and then you come home. And, obviously, that was a – Sunday was a very fun day. Obviously, Tom and I did our live show from uh, Founders Park, which was very, very cool. I think the funniest thing we can both attest to, Tom, is, we had someone sitting about probably about 50 yards away from yeah. us, him and his wife at a tailgate. And you could tell he had his AirPods in or his ear, you know, his headphones in, whatever. And his, you know, we were handing out Holinsky's Hope wristbands. His wife actually came up and got a couple of them. But we finished up with the live show, and the guy all of a sudden shouts out, Great show, guys. Like he was listening to it the whole time, and he was 50 yards away from us. Yeah literally facing us too and i'm just like pretty funny in my head i'm like you know if you're listening to this i appreciate it for real yeah. but next time just come say hey we're you're just like come over and say hello Drive by, man. yeah just, just like we're by. the most approachable i think me and you are probably the two most take like approachable take us, dude i mean i think we're very approachable we so the crazy thing is too is you all everyone knows the culture comments which i was going to get to in just a second the whole culture comments by logan davidson before the series logan davidson's cousin came by the live show to get some wristbands. I tried to ask him some questions. He wanted no part of it. He wa- But apparently what he told us, which is hysterical, is that Logan Davidson saw my video, the Daily Crow video, and said he had a good laugh is what his cousin said. Now, is this guy even his cousin? I don't, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. But, I mean, why would you lie about that? So, I don't know. That's pretty funny. That, <laughs> that was pretty funny. But, no, the live show was a success, and you get into the game. And, I mean, what else can you say, man? I mean, Reed Morgan was outstanding, um, you know, phenomenal. I gave you everything and more you want to – you know, I talked about in the live show, Tom, and I'll say it again, that, you know, what I said before the game, I thought that if you looked at the stat sheet after the game and they saw that Reed Morgan gave you five good innings, five quality innings, that South Carolina would more than likely have won the ball game. He goes six and two-thirds, eight hits. Three runs, two earned, five strikeouts, no walks. I mean, it just uh, extremely solid outing, pound of the strike zone all afternoon. And then South Carolina with the offensive explosion. Like you said, Tom, I know you're not a huge baseball guy. And probably a lot of people in the stands on Sunday aren't – we'll just say this. There aren't many people that like baseball as much as I do. But yeah. I think everybody could appreciate a good old-fashioned ass whipping. And that's, yeah. I mean, that's what we saw on Sunday was just a good old-fashioned ass whipping. I mean, my favorite part of the entire game was when – Reed Morgan, I can't remember what inning it was or anything. It was two outs. I'm pretty positive. This kid either fouled something off or had a, a bad ball, and he gets, like, 
five or six steps at least down like the first base line. And he just takes his sweet time, like walking back. I think he fouls on off. And he, I, I don't, I can't remember how far he walked down the line, but it took him like 15 seconds to get back in the box. And I could tell Reed Morgan was getting pissed, and you were getting pissed too when he was doing it. I can't remember exactly what happened. And next pitch, I think Reed Morgan strikes him out and just stares him down as he's walking back to Carolina's dugout. And I was like, yeah, this is the kind of swagger that we've needed in the last five years that we haven't had in any sport. Yeah, yeah, that was Bryce Teodosio. We put we put the video up, but yeah, no, I I mean you heard me as soon as it happened, but yeah, he had a foul ball on the right side. And I mean he ran pretty he ran at least three quarters of the way to third base, which so you know it's ninety feet. He ran a good sixty feet, twenty yards, um down, you know, down the line and walked the whole way back. I mean yeah, it, took it was like noticeably long. Like it wasn't just something where it's like Oh, if you you know you have to be like a baseball player in the game, like I think everybody in the crowd was like, "Dude, this is what is this guy doing?" Like, just trying to show up your pitcher, and then yeah, like you said, Reed Morgan strikes him out and gives the most epic. I mean, the most savage epic stare down. Probably one of all the time. Now. Yeah, I mean, it has to be. I mean, I, I thought that Reed Morgan, the big thing he did, and again, the offense putting him a five spot in the bottom of the first definitely helped this cause, but. Reed Morgan set the tone to me in that game. I mean, he he even when he gave up a run the top of the first, I wasn't worried because I'm like, Reed Morgan is going to keep you in this game. He's going to throw strikes. He's going to give you a chance. He's not going to beat himself. And, you know, he throws scoreless innings two through five, and the sixth inning gives up two runs. Again, one of those unearned. But, I mean, just a phenomenal performance from Reed Morgan. Um, Carolina's offense again on Sunday, five spot in the first, five spot in the fourth, three spot in the sixth. Uh, scored another run the second inning for a final score, 14-3, to which was just, like I said, just a pure ass whipping. T.J. Hopkins, four for five on the day, four homers, a home run. Um, all the guys had a home run. T.J. Hopkins had one, and then Luke Berryhill with two on Sunday. Um, this, Carolina, this Carolina lineup, yeah, you know, he's a – no, so the <laughs> – and I, I don't know if it's – if anybody that, you know, is related to him or it, maybe he listens to this podcast, I don't know, but he hears this. One of the funny things I was <clears> – I was joking with one of the guys Friday. I was standing next to – I don't know if it's just the gray unis or what, but uh, I, I swear to God, Luke Berryhill's pants were a schmedium. Let me put it that way. His pants were a schmedium. <laughs> I mean, dude's already jacked. You know what I mean? Like He, he, doesn't, need, he doesn't need small pants. I, that, that was just something very, very funny on Friday. Um, but no, TJ Hopkins on the weekend, definitely the series MVP. I already talked about on the Daily Crow. Hit 467, seven for 15 with three homers and nine ribbies. I mean, just, I mean, outstanding. It picked up basically every single honor you can think of, was named SEC Player of the Week, um, picked up National Player of the Week by Collegiate Baseball Magazine. I mean, I think maybe a couple others as well. And then I actually forgot to mention Brett Carey was named SEC Co Freshman of the Week. So Man, he's got some stuff. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and it really leads you into, you know, you win two of three, obviously. The, the culture comments to me by Logan Davidson, um, they're not the reason that South Carolina won, but I, I certainly, certainly think they fueled this team. They, they genuinely pissed this team off. I mean, you yeah. saw probably, Tom, on Twitter after South Carolina won that game. It wasn't just current players. I mean, it was former players saying better culture, like making the culture comments. And, it was everybody, man. I mean, you heard me saying it all weekend, and I told somebody, like, listen, I didn't even play for Carolina, and it pissed me off. Like, it genuinely pissed me off. I mean, I I talked about it all weekend, over and over and over and over. And, I mean, yeah, I just think this team really took it to heart. And I, it just, 
you know, I, I didn't say this last week because I didn't want to jinx or be wrong or anything, but I swear to you, when those comments, when I read those comments and those comments were made, I almost in my head was just like, there's just no way. There's no way South Carolina is going to lose this series. There's just no way that this team is going to let these guys miss about them and then, yeah, lose the series. I just how no do you way. give someone bulletin board material like that? Like how that's like say that's like saying that's like talking trash to Tom Brady the week for the AFC Championship of the Super Bowl. I to mean, me, it's like the worst thing you can do to yourself. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, especially when you've you know you've beaten that rival team so many years in a row, and it's like, why would you even? Why would you poke the bear? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, why would you? instigate that and say something so outlandish say something so outlandish too like i mean i'm mark kingston and that happens i print i i transcript a transcript or a tweet or whatever of him saying that and i put it in every single player's locker yeah and i mean just so they know he said said all the right things you know he said they they really hadn't talked about it all week and it was but i I can guarantee i i know it was addressed. Put it this way: I know for a fact that it was talked about amongst the players. Know for a fact, and it was something they were pissed off about. So I thought that shown through again. I, you know, the bigger takeaways of this weekend. I mean, I think the Gamecocks. Let's start with the positives. I mean, their lineup is absurd, and we yeah. saw that. You know, obviously we're recording this Tuesday night. Um, Carolina beats the Citadel nine nothing. Has an eight run second inning. I mean, really just continuing the hot hitting. I mean, this is. This is a team that can swing it. I mean, there is no doubt. I think they're actually, if they're not, if they're not leading, they're now tied for first in the country in home runs. Um, home runs hit as a team. I mean, you look up and down this lineup, one through nine, um, just a ton of guys that can swing it. Again, I thought, you know, Luke Berryhill had a great Sunday, had a great weekend. T.J. Hopkins, what he did, it just speaks for itself. He's seeing the ball as a beach ball right now. Um, I don't even think Jacob Olson really had a good weekend at all, and he's a, he's a big bat for you. Um, Andrew Eister was just pissing all over the ball again. He hit a home run tonight against Citadel as well. That God, I feel like man went like 450 feet. Um, you know, Brady Allen coming into his own. Noah Campbell, we know what he can do. Chris Collins swinging the bat pretty good. I mean, George Khalil, I've been very, very happy with him at shortstop. I think just the swag he carries himself with on the field. He hit a home run tonight against Citadel as well. I mean, you look at this lineup, Tom. Literally one through nine guys can swing it. I mean, it's crazy the type of bashers that South Carolina has on their team this year. And I think, excuse me, I think with, while South Carolina is trying to figure out their pitching, their starting pitching on Friday and Saturday, especially with the Carmen Majinski injury, I think these big bats are going to need to carry South Carolina as we creep closer to SEC play. No, I I definitely think you're right there. Like I said, and I've said this a million times, I'm not a big baseball guy. But one thing I can tell from watching them play and, you know, seeing the stats from the games and home runs, like, team – this team is going to live and die by the home run ball. Like, if they're, if they're going to hit it out of the park in that game and they're getting good contact, then, yeah, they're going to win the game most likely. But they get a cold streak, like maybe like they did against Clemson on Saturday. You know, you could only put – and your, pit, your front line pitching it and doing that well, and you have to bring in some guys who maybe aren't your best guys because you just don't have really in their options. We have to get five innings out of relievers or five or six or whatever it was. But, I mean, I think for this season, they're going to live and die by the home run ball. Like, if they're – they continue to get at this pace, there's a good chance they'd probably make it to Omaha, but if it ends up dipping down and they can't just continue to get, you know, singles and doubles and just move guys along the bases, it's going to be a long season. Yeah, no, and that, you know, looking at it as the, I guess, the negative side, if you will, I mean, that's definitely the one thing that concerns me is that when you rely too heavily on the home run, that's definitely something that can happen. You know, we talked about the live show 
Um, it's like a team living and dying by the three-pointer, which we've seen actually South Carolina basketball do this season. Yeah. When they're hot, it looks really, really good. It's fun to watch. It's fun basketball. When they're not, it's ugly. It's, you know, the results speak for themselves. So, you know, I, I will say that I think this team – is sort again, they're living and dying by the home run, I guess you could say right now. I think they've been better. Situ- I've seen some things situation, situation, I can't say the word in different situations. I've seen different situational hitting, um, in which it has encouraged me. Have they they've been able to scratch across cross runs in different ways? I think of Sunday, which I mean, it feels like they were able to score runs in every single way, but uh, I mean, I think this is a team. Listen, they have power, they're good at hitting the home run. I don't think you should try to you know, talk them out of that or try to change that. I mean, you've got some guys that can really slug it. I mean, you've just got to hope and depend that uh, maybe if one or two of your guys is going through a cold streak that you, you have somebody else that can pick them up. So, I, I mean, again, this lineup, there's a ton to like about it. Again, one through nine to me are all, all smashers. Um, but I think, again, I think the bigger question – and I guess one of the biggest positives for me about this team as well is that, I mean, if this team can get adequate pitching on Friday and Saturday, I'm just – adequate pitching yeah, like Dylan Harley is a true freshman like I I, I know that uh, I know that Skylar Mead and George, or, George I know that Skylar Mead and Mark Kingston are already telling him this but like you don't need to be perfect like just give us five solid innings it, you can that the thing about this South Carolina lineup as a starting pitching that you have or starting pitcher that you have to love or just a pitcher in general or as a starting pitcher, you can if you're Dylan Harley, you can give up five runs, and there's still a good chance you're going to win because your lineup yeah. is so good. I mean, so, you can make mistakes and live. Yeah, I mean, you you don't have to have like a two ERA and be perfect. You don't have to be perfect. I think that's what Reed Morgan's kind of showing. Like when he goes out there and pitch, he's not perfect, and he's he's not living to be perfect either. All he's doing is filling the zone, letting his defense working for him. He's not beating himself, and he carries himself obviously with a moxie and a swagger that rubs off on his teammates and I think makes him even better. I mean, you know, baseball is a sport a lot like golf. It's all confidence. It's, it's mental. You know what I mean? Like, if you believe you're going to throw a strike and the guy's going to swing and miss, it's going to happen more often than not. It's just – it's a sports thing. You know, you know about it, Tom. It's a sports thing. You have to believe and see it happening before it actually happens. I, I mean, again, that's what I would tell Dylan Harley and then whoever gets the Friday night role or kind of however they shuffle that is like, dude, you don't have to be perfect. Like, you have a lineup that I, I don't have the stats right now, but I have to imagine they're, they're averaging scoring like eight or nine runs a game. So, I mean, you know, it'll be very interesting to me. Do you shuffle Brett Carey to the starting rotation? Do you um, move a guy like we saw TJ Shook throw tonight? He threw very well. Hayden Lehman throwing tomorrow for South Carolina. Um, John Gilry threw at the back of the bull, bullpen. Um, tonight, but he could obviously go on the weekend. How do they shuffle around the weekend rotation? I'm very interesting because this upcoming weekend, you've got Valparaiso, which is another small series that you certainly should be able to take two of three and even possibly sweep. Then the next weekend, you've got Georgia, and you're starting SEC play, and that's when things are going to get real serious. I'm not sure if you saw the poll, Tom, but I believe they there are 11 teams, 11 SEC teams in the top 24 of the college baseball poll, which is crazy. crazy. So it's going to be a grinder for everybody. I mean, the, 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 the men are going to be separated from the boys once we get SEC play. So how do they yeah. figure out that pitching? But overall, just to wrap it up, great weekend, a great series win. Anytime you can beat Clemson, and obviously it's been way, way, way too long since Carolina beat Clemson in really anything. So just to get that win to finally kind of break through and do it in the fashion in which you did, again, just doing it, I mean, beating their ass on Sunday was yeah. – 
phenomenal. Phenomenal. And I can, again, I can say for me being there all three games, it was something I, I said on social media, I think Friday that, you know, might be light for some, but it was kind of always a dream of mine to go to all three games and experience all three venues. And, you know, it only makes it sweeter that South Carolina won two of three and we were able to get some dope video content in the process. So appreciate everybody that reached out and it was a blast. So let's move into men's basketball. Cause I know I, I went off, uh, went off pretty good there on baseball, but we'll move into some basketball. South Carolina suffering a really, really tough loss on Saturday at Missouri, but coming back, Tom, tonight, beating Texas A&M in a game that we were talking about a little bit off air. I had Texas A&M minus four and a half, and I went as far as to call it a guarantee. I I pretty much called it a guarantee. And Mm. South Carolina, Texas A&M was a four and a half point favorite. I said to pick Texas A&M minus four and a half. All South Carolina comes out and and all they do, is shoot 45% from the field, 57% from three-point range, and win by 17 points. So, yeah. <laughs> the best bet the best bet is taking some lumps as of late. Minding me, take over. Yeah, maybe. I mean, you know, at this point, I just need to try to win. I mean, what, we only have one regular season game left, so I have to win that one to break 500 in the regular season, which is Yikes. just – and I was like you were saying, I was seven three at one at one point, and I'm seven seven and one. So I mean, <laughs> that tells you anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, South Carolina gets the win, seventy one fifty four moves to fifteen and fifteen, ten and seven in conference. More importantly, they hold on to the number four spot in the SEC standings for now, which would secure them a first round or the uh, would secure them the buy in the SEC tournament. I'm gonna look up because basically what South Carolina needs to happen and I'm looking up the score in this game so okay so it's 66 43 Tennessee beating Mississippi State South Carolina needs Mississippi State to lose this game there's only four minutes left in the game I think Tennessee's going to hold on to a 23 point lead with four minutes left fingers yeah. crossed but as long as Mississippi State loses that game which they should and South Carolina beats Georgia on Saturday they will have locked up the number four seed which for the season that South Carolina's had Tom I think that would be a huge, huge accomplishment. Yeah, pretty decent. Yeah, so you take a look at the game tonight. I mean, again, South Carolina shooting 57% from three-point range. They made 13 of them. And, again, that 57%, I mean, they were at 80% at halftime, just to show, tell you how good they were from three-point land. It was insane. I mean, Chris Silva, four for four from three-point land. I mean, what in the world is going on there? Um, yeah, shoot your shot, man. Yeah, I mean, it led the Gamecocks with 22 points. Asani Gravit with 17 points. Keyshawn Bryant, 15 points. I mean, I just really thought coming into this game time that this was a game that – I mean, listen, South Carolina's playing with like six or seven guys. We were talking about before the show, there are guys on the stat sheet on the bench that we've never even seen before or never even heard of. I mean, yeah. Nelson Borup, which we looked him up, they're true freshmen. I mean, guys that have straight up just never played and that are having to – you know, be ready to go. So I mean, you're going to run in the SEC with seven mm-hmm. guys on scholarship. That yeah, play. and I mean, as bad, you know, because you take a look at their record after tonight, Texas A&M 13-16, and 6-11 in conference. I mean, they're a bad team. Let's face it. They're, they're not good. But to, like you're saying, to go on the road in the SEC with the limited guys you had and to get the Just win, I mean, and to win the way you did, win by 17? Yeah. I mean, that's – that's nuts. I mean, kudos to Frank Martin, his staff, that team for, you know, getting the most out of the guys you have. Because, I mean, again, I, you know, you look at the guys, that, the starters that play tonight, Trey Campbell, 38 minutes, Asani Gravit, 38 minutes, Chris Silva, 37 minutes, Keyshawn Bryant, 35 minutes. I mean, that's 
that's serious, bro. <laughs> I mean, that's, taking, that's taking no time off. So, um, huge win, obviously, for South Carolina. Again, just to hold on to that four spot because what it's looking like, Tom, obviously, is that South Carolina is going to have to win the SEC tournament to get in the NCAA tournament. Um, what I'm curious about, because, listen, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend like I'm some bracketologist over here. I'm curious where South Carolina would stand right now as far as NIT is concerned because no clue. You know, you're a 500 team, 10 and 7 in conference. Again, I'm not going to – again, I, like I said, I'm not going to pretend like I'm some expert on bracketology and how that all works out, the selection process, whatever. But, I mean, I would have to think that if South Carolina wins Saturday, gets a 16 and 15, 11 and 7 in conference, even if they lose the first game of the SEC tournament, I know they're a 500 team, but, I mean – you can't ignore what they did in conference play, in my opinion. So, I just kind of have to wait and see. But, I mean, overall, you know, Tom, I'd say a pretty good win for uh, for Frank Martin's club with definitely what they were working with. No, I mean, I definitely agree. You go on the road, and I had to say this a second ago, but you go on the road with seven scholarship guys and you win against the team. I mean, Texas A&M and good. But, I mean, it's still an SEC team. It's not like they're playing – I mean, it – I just don't understand how they can do that with how much as Frank Martin hate as there's been, not from us, because we love Frank Martin. I've never said anything negative about him whatsoever. Never, never have uttered a single negative word. But, um, I mean, <laughs> you get four for four from three-point land for Chris Silva, I think you're just meant to win that ball game. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy. That That's, that's and wild. And Flippy Hase <laughs> was three of five from three-point land. That's, all he, that's the only shots he took were threes. Yeah, that's I – mean, <laughs> Damn. like I said, the, the Chris Silva thing, that's that's wild. Yeah. Um, all right, let's get into some football. There are some football news and notes, some things that uh, happened literally – thank God. Some things that happened literally right after we uh, we posted our show last week. Uh, just some recruiting stuff. Luke Doty, Isaiah Walker make some major jumps in the 247 sports rankings. Um, and, I mean, Tom, I, I don't know if this is normal, but these are crazy jumps, I feel like. Luke Doty up 283 spots. He's now the 47th overall ranked player. This would be the 2020 rankings, right, for the 2020 class, I mean? Yeah, the 2020. 2020 class rankings. So, Doty's up 283 spots, 47th overall. Isaiah Walker, yeah. offensive lineman, is up 319 spots, 67th ranked overall. Yeah, but they're both committed. How? Let me ask you this first, Tom. You're, you're the football guru. You're the football guy. How, how do – how do guys jump that? Like, how are they ranked that low to begin with? Like, well, Doty, I mean, I think a lot of times with this kind of stuff, those preliminary rankings that 24-7 sports does, I don't know. If, I think this is their top 24-7. I don't think this is the composite. Right. When they do their top 24-7, it's really, in my opinion, just a shot in the dark. Because when they first do that, when they're like sophomores in high school, you don't really know what they're going to be. And so when they get to their junior year and you see them, they go up a little bit more. And then when they get to their – going into their senior year right about now and they increase those rankings, they take what they've seen from camps and what they've seen them do and actually film. I mean, Doty killed it all year. I mean, Myrtle Beach was great, won a state championship. Doty threw it and ran it. I mean, there was that one play I remember where Luke Doty is the holder for PATs for Myrtle Beach. The PAT gets blocked. Doty literally like looks like he sighs and then puts his head back and sprints and runs down the guy who got the block and tackled him at like the five. That's insane to me. He had like a 20-yard head start on Doty, but um, he's done really well. Isaiah Walker at every camp that he's been to has killed it. He's I wouldn't say he's an extremely hard commit, but I think that he's been committed for a while, so I'd assume we hold on to him. But that'd be crazy to go from – I mean, you go from Brian Alinsky, who was probably – I think he was top 50 in the, in the 24-7 composite. I would 
I would guess he was right around there. And then getting Luke Doty right after that, another top 50 quarterback is huge. I mean, that's ridiculous. Then you, I mean, you have potential for guys like a Tanks Bigsby and other ones who are also top one or players. I mean, there's a lot of potential for big time players for South Carolina to get in this cycle. Yeah. I mean, the South Carolina quarterback room, I mean, not, it's, yeah. it's already, you know, it, it's already good phenomenal i mean you're thinking about jake bentley ryan Helinski to carry on joiner jay yurik you add in luke doty who just again a top 50 player now i mean that's maybe a five-star guy at the end of the day. right and so and, but you were talking about this though tom you're getting you were saying you're getting tired of the comparisons to the connor shaw stuff is that right yeah i don't yeah i mean here's my thing you're not going to compare anybody to Connor Shaw until he goes in the field and does what Connor Shaw does. I mean, I get the Luke Doty is, you know, that guy. And I think, I think he's going to be a really good quarterback. I don't think he's as good as a quarterback as Alinsky just because I think Alinsky throws it better. And you get more of that intangible feel from Alinsky that he has that, that intangible that Connor Shaw had. And that's not me saying that he's going to be what Connor Shaw is on the field, but he has the same kind of intangibles that Connor had. And, I just think Holinsky's better right now. I think he's a better passer coming out of school, coming out of high school. Obviously, he's not – I wouldn't say half the runner Doty is. That's just because Doty is a phenomenal runner. But if Doty could figure out his arm and, you know, make sure he gets everything right in the passing game, he has a chance to be really special. I'm not saying he isn't. He's from South Carolina. Obviously, he's going to South Carolina to play quarterback. There's going to be a lot of pride factor there and put on for the state. But – I just don't – I'm not there with the Connor Shaw comparisons yet. And he's probably – he's a way better prospect in high school than Connor Shaw was. And Connor Shaw also had a filthy roster around him. And Doty will probably have a pretty good one too. Not at the level that was there when Connor Shaw was there. But a pretty good one. You know, maybe if you get uh, – what's the kid's name? I can't – the Birch kid from Hammond and yeah, um, Huntley Birch, from Hammond yeah. too. Both are mm. very high recruits. I mean, if you get some pieces like that around the fall around Doty, then – Maybe he could be the Connor Shaw type of I mean, guy to come Jordan, out. Jordan Bur- or the Birch kid, he's like top five, right? I mean, he's two. isn't he? I think he's two. Wow. He's wow. behind Brian Breesey. So, yeah, he's I mean, a, I mean you got to get him, too, out of Columbia. I mean, come on. Yeah. You can't let somebody come in your backyard and take that kid. There's just I mean, no he's way. A, he's best friends with Xavier Thomas, though, and that's like it, – it's kind of hurting you there. But, <sighs> I mean, he's in Columbia. Here we go. His <laughs> head coach is a South Carolina yeah, former quarterback – and his parent, I think his mom's a Carolina fan. Like, come oh, on, God. like you can't lose this oh, one. God. You, you can't, you can't lose it. You can't lose a guy like that. I mean, unless they make some, unless unless Clemson buys, you know, Birch's <laughs> dad's car wash for three times what it's worth. I think we have a pretty good shot, unless that happens. <laughs> yeah, no, no. And just to go kind of what you were talking about, the whole Luke Doty Connor Shaw comparisons. I mean, I'm for one that I say like I, I've. Now, doing the Spurs Up show and doing all this stuff has definitely made me get more into recruiting, like m- much, much more than I was, I'll be honest, uh, before all this, you know, started and stuff like that. But, you know, I just – I don't know. With recruiting, it's like, listen, dude, like the guy doesn't even sign till 2020. Like, yeah. let's just – let's just – let's pump just pump, Yeah, let's pump the brakes a little bit. Let's at least get the – let's let the kid – get on campus like let's just get and let him get on campus i mean his senior year is going to be 2024 like yeah. <laughs> it's insane. five i mean that's a while from now guys like i mean will Muschamp could not even be the head coach in 2024 right. Right. so like we don't there's a lot of other things that are gonna have to fall in place for him to be connor shaw i'm just i don't know i mean i think he's gonna be a really good cool quarterback he's obviously a little bit bigger than connor shaw but man the connor shaw comparisons are just a a little yeah. bit to me. I mean, it's just, you know, just fans getting excited. I, I like it. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, it's like, all right, let's 
come on now. Like you said, if you, if you want to call him Connor Shaw, that's some pretty high expectations for what Connor Shaw did at Carolina. Um, do we want to talk about the Kevin Harris video from today? <laughs> yeah, no, the Kevin Harris video, I'm sure everybody saw it on social media, Gamecock Football's Instagram, put it up on their story. Um, we pulled it off of there and put it on different social media outlets because I felt like people just needed to see this video. Um, Carolina running the Oklahoma drill. That is still still called the Oklahoma drill, right? I think they, I think they actually the cocky. I thought it was like the cocky drill or something. Like well, that. so theirs is called the cock drill, but that's it's traditionally called the Oklahoma. It's drill. Oklahoma, right? But the cock drill, as they call it, Kevin Harris gets the handoff and basically goes beast mode, grown man on whoever. I think it's Zay Brown trying to tackle him. I can't one hundred percent tell. But on trying. goes straight up beast mode, gets his helmet ripped off, stays up on his feet, and takes off. I mean, it's yeah, it's so funny because I like I was telling you, Tom, I was like, I put it up and I was like, the reaction is just crazy. But I knew how big of a reaction it would get just because I'm like, South Carolina fans are we're so hungry for the next Marcus Lattimore, the next big time running back, and to see a kid that's a true freshman have that kind of run, no matter who it's against, I mean, it's gonna fire people up. No Man, people were saying I like Marcus Lattimore, bro. But to me, that was some Mike Davis shit. Like, Mike Davis, that, I don't – I mean, just yeah, Mike, Mike he, Davis was a hard runner now. Mike Davis yeah. would run you over, like, no doubt. So, that's like, I thought he was looking a little – because Mike Davis was a little bit more – I don't, I don't want to like say more stocky, built. Right? Like, he was yeah, stocky. He was more stocky guy than Lattimore, right. and I feel like that's probably a better comparison. But, man, Kevin Harris is going to be – I would be shocked if he's not getting a – half the snaps next season at running back. Yeah. No, I mean, it'll be interesting. I mean, I'm excited for the young guys, guys like Deshaun Fenwick, Kevin Harris, obviously. Um, just because, I mean, I think it's one of those things, it's almost like fatigue. Like, you've seen – you we've seen what Rico Dowdle and Mondance and those guys can do. Um, A.J. Turner even. Like, what are – what can these we've young guys do? see what they can provide? do with really bad coaching. At the yeah, that too, that too, that too. Thomas Brown. That's what, like, when, I'm pretty – I'm ready to see what they do next year with Thomas Brown. Right. I think there's going to be a big-time difference. Right. No, I agree. I agree. Other than that, I mean, I think spring practice has been fairly quiet. I mean, we got a little tidbit – or not a tidbit, but kind of a good quote the first day. Um, T-Rob basically saying about Zach Pickens that, quote, you seen that guy that plays for the Eagles, number 91, Fletcher Cox? Probably something like that. That would be my ideal scenario. Basically, he was talking about the type of player that he believes Zach Pickens can be. Also mentioned Aaron Donald from the Rams, which is nuts. Yeah, that's so crazy. I'm very excited to see how they use Zach Pickens. Tom, you were talking about they're going to use him more inside, right? Not at the end position. He's. I think they're saying that he's going to be more of a DT than a DN. Like, I mean, huh, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think if he wanted to slim down, he could easily play DN. But I mean, he's a he looks like a three technique like all day right huh well yeah either way I mean either way he should be a guy obviously for South Carolina that I mean I could be wrong he's, but I fully, he's not gonna be missing right his. I fully expect him to be in the de- the defensive line rotation like yeah for you know first things you know what I'm ready to see some Oklahoma drill or one-on-ones in general between Dylan Wanham and Zach Pickens I'm ready oh, to yeah, see they'll some. have no they'll they'll definitely I mean the the media team does a good job I think they'll definitely have some you know, because I remember Zach last Bailey year, and Kinlaw last year. Right, right. Yeah, they were putting out Kinley and, or Kinlaw and Bailey. That those were good. Those were fun to watch. Yeah, uh, those are good battles, and that that'll be cool. That'll be fun. I mean, um, I mean, yeah, like you're saying, those are two guys. I mean, I think Dylan Wanham's going to be a big time O line 
like draft pick out of South Carolina. I mean, just yeah. from his freshman season. I mean, I can. I, I'm not. He'll a, be gone. I'm not an O line guru like you are, but I mean, good God, that man's a monster. Dude, I mean, he look he he looks nothing like a freshman or a no. sophomore, a true sophomore. He doesn't like a true. He looks like a senior. I mean, from what I you know, being a football fan, obviously, I, I know that it's you know it's very hard for uh, a kid that is you know a true freshman to come in and play meaningful snaps on the offensive line and be productive at that. Yeah. I mean, just because you're so I – mean, he shows kids are so physically far behind, I feel like. I mean, you look at Hank Manos. I mean, God bless his soul. Yeah. I mean, he was sort of behind the eight ball because he wrestled in high school and had to keep his weight so far down. And, you know, I mean, I don't want to blame it on him, obviously. But, I mean, I think we all saw in the belt bowl that, you know, he, he got his tail whipped. I mean, yeah. there's just – there's I mean, really no other way to put it. I mean – I mean, the thing that Dylan Warren could come in and be productive and then shut down – Basically shut yeah. down Austin Bryant, one of the best right. defensive ends in this year's draft class. I mean, it's crazy to think. Right. No, it's it's nuts. But, yeah, obviously everybody's really, really excited. The other thing, Tom, I almost forgot about this. Since we're talking about social media videos, the video that I put out Friday of Ryan Holinsky's deep ball to Brian Edwards. We, so spring practice has been very funny. Like, we've gotten some, like, viral content from spring practice, which is – a hundred percent, not something I would expect. Cause you guys all know we're not in the building. We don't have these credentials. We're not like inside the building, like getting crazy information or what. And to me, like, I'll be honest, like it's, it's cool. The football's back. I like spring ball, but like the best thing to me that can happen in spring ball is nobody gets hurt. That's pretty yeah. much it. Other than mm-hmm. that, you know, everybody's going to practice, working on fundamentals, trying to get better, good on you, get the young guys experience, whatever. But We've actually gotten some pretty fire content. Again, the video, Ryan Helinski throwing the deep ball down to Brian Edwards. I don't know how many views it has at this point, but I think, didn't you tell me, Tom, at one point it had like 20,000? I mean, it was – Yeah. Well, the one of Kevin Harris had 20K, yeah. It was absurd. Yeah, they, they've both gotten like ridiculous numbers. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that one blew up. We had Brad Crawford tweeting about it, other people – which, you know, again, it was a bad snap. Ryan Helinski reaches to his right, basically flicks the ball up in the air. I mean, it really did like an effortless throw. It puts it, it in the spot. Like, hits Brian Edwards money. in stride in the bread basket. It almost reminded me of the old Miss touchdown, where it's like right in the bread basket. Um, Except Brian didn't have to reach back. Right, yeah, him, that too. No, that, that's literally like, hit him in stride, like in his hands. Yeah, yeah, hit him in stride. I mean, Twitter just, of course. And you got 6'5", Israel Mukawamu on, like, on his tail. And then Andre Roderick, I mean, he, I don't think you could have thrown that ball better. I mean, I'll put it this way, guys. You know it's fire content when you have someone that is on the football staff reach out to you and say, where did you get that video? Yeah. Literally, that's a true story. Everybody listen to this. Somebody reaches out and says, where did you get that video? And my response is, it was on the Instagram. I mean, it was on his Instagram story. I mean, what do you want me to say? And guess what? 20 minutes later, it wasn't there anymore. <laughs> so... Yep. Brian Edwards, I know you probably that, already hate us. You already have us blocked on Twitter. I apologize if I got you in trouble, and you probably hate us even more now. So, Brian Edwards is probably not a fan of us. I'll be completely honest with you. And I don't know why, I mean, but that definitely did not help. A lot of guys are just like – I'm not saying this is Brian in specific, but, like, there are a lot of guys who, like, see one negative thing or, like, not even negative, but, like, just a critique of something happening, and they'll be like – yeah, this no, yeah. Gonna, it, it gets to some, it, I, I get it. It gets to some guys like I, you know, we talked to Bryson on Williams about it. I mean, I, I get it. I understand a hundred percent, but no, nah, it's it's just kind I mean, of if you ironic. don't want to see critiques of yourself and don't get on social media. Like this is what you're gonna see. That's a good point. 
No, that's a really good point. Um, all right, cool. Let's get into some listener questions. We had a ton of different listener questions. Want to get to? Um, we'll start with Riley Man five five five. What pitchers will return next year? Um, a, a lot of them. <laughs> I mean, the only guys you're really losing will be Sawyer Bridges. You got to hope Reed Morgan will come back because he's draft eligible. Um, maybe Hayden Lehman. I think he might be draft eligible. I mean, I, I don't have it pulled up, so there could be some I'm missing, but you're going to bring back pretty much everybody. So, um, by Brantley Strickland, best baseball walk-up song this year. Um, Magic Stick. Who has it, though? I, I forgot. Oh, does anybody have it? I, I don't know. I was just saying Magic Stick. No, no, no. No, just, no, no, I'm saying, like, on the team. Um, whoever has the John Cena. That's, that's Barry Hill. I knew you were going to say the that. The John Cena. No, so my top three would definitely be Luke Barry Hill with the John Cena intro is hysterical. I mean, that's funny. Yeah. Um, George Khalil with uh, a land down under because he's from Australia. That is clever. And what's the other one? Um, Brady Allen's got a fire one. I don't know the name of the song, but it, it it'll turn you up quick. It's a dope song. And then uh, Andrew Eister, I saw on social media, he actually just changed – his, uh, his walk-up song to Ice Ice Baby. So, that's pretty fire as well. That's pretty good. That's a pretty solid pick. Um, all right, Jack C. Powers. Why do we hit so many dingers? We just, um, hit, we just hit dingers. I mean – Why not? I, have you seen – hey, have you seen the video, Tom, of the kid from the Little League World Series? My name what, – what's the – I forget the kid's name. My name like, – he's a little fat kid. I don't yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, my name's Kevin. I hit dingers. <laughs> yeah that's what that he has to i think he did it a home run like the next day yeah dude i mean he's like 12 and he's like 200 pounds hitting home runs it's insane yeah. um all right judd rupp will tringali become a starter or carry with majinski hurt that's a good question i mean who's gonna fill in that role i i definitely think I, listen brett carry what a story brett carry's been by the way i mean a guy that did not throw well in the fall at all from what i heard was really challenged by the coaching staff. They even, you know, talked about him, like how much will he – what will his role be? And he basically had to go back over winter, you know, fall break – or not fall break, winter uh, Christmas break, if you will, and kind of find himself and refocus mentally. And from what I heard, he came back from that in the spring, threw extremely well, came back with a new focus and just a guy that, I mean, just really figured it out. And, I mean, he has been phenomenal. I think I read the stats. He's thrown 9.1 innings. 18 strikeouts has not allowed a run. He's allowed four, four hits. I mean, to me, like, how could you not? I mean, will he get in the weekend rotation immediately? I don't know. Again, there, there's going to be some serious decisions to make by Mark Kingston, Skylar Mead, that that coaching staff. Um, but I don't know. As far as the weekend, I mean, Brett Carey has earned a start, in my opinion, in some form or fashion. I mean, I'll, again, I talked about Hayden Lehman. Um, is getting the start tomorrow, or if you're listening to this on Wednesday, tonight for South Carolina. To me, that it almost makes me feel like Brett Carey is going to start this weekend because there's just no way they're not going to throw him. I mean, it's, you have to. Like, he to me, he's earned I, – I think what we most likely see, if I had to guess moving forward, they're going to slide Reed Morgan to Friday night, have Dylan Harley in the Saturday spot, and Brett Carey on Sunday. Because um, I, I don't think you bump Brett Carey immediately from – the bullpen of the Friday night guy. I don't. I don't think you do that. I mean, it, I guess it's possible. It may be possible. I, I don't know if they will. I, I don't. You know, I wouldn't predict it. Like I said, but I, I think we see Brett Carey get a bigger role. There's no question in my mind. He's thrown too well not to give him an opportunity. I mean, he was disgusting. I mean, he was unhittable against Clemson. 
Um, but, yeah, I mean, it could be any other guys as well. Cam Tringali, I think, is a good arm that could also pitch in that role. I thought Hayden Lehman, I thought he was going to be the Sunday starter for South Carolina. So, um, you know, we'll see. A lot of different guys that could take over that role. Um, okay, snack underscore boy. Do you think that Carolina will be an SEC East contender in football next season? Mm, it's going to be hard. I just don't think – the schedule is just terrible. I mean, if they weren't playing Bama – at home and then at Georgia, yeah, but I, I just don't think it's going to happen. And you got A&M on the road. That's not – that's not impossible. That's that's tough. I actually had somebody remind me, too, that um, that Bama game – after that Bama game, you have to go to Mizzou, which could be a major trap, trap game. game with Kelly Bryant. I mean, just coming off – I mean, it's going to be a – you know, even if you get beat by 30 by Bama, it's going to be a physical game. It'll probably be the most physical game you play all season. Yeah. So, I mean – then going on the road next week is not going to be fun. No, not at all. Um, no. So, we'll see. But, yeah, it's, I just I agree with you, Tom. The, the, the schedule is just brutal. Um, WC115, do you think Carolina baseball will be a powerhouse in the SEC if we keep hitting like this? Um, yeah. Yes and no. I think yes, obviously, because the hitting. But I think the pitching, obviously, just has to get better. I mean, listen, baseball is won by pitching and defense. When you get to – Big-time SEC play, you start getting later in the season, you get SEC tournament play, you get the regional, super regionals. And Omaha, you look at this, the great South Carolina teams. Could they hit? Yes. But the ones that won the College World Series could pitch. That's the biggest thing. you got to be able to pitch. So, uh, you know, I think that, uh, yes, if they keep hitting at this level, it's going to be a good team no matter what. Because the, 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 the fact of the matter is this team is winning without good pitching on Friday and Saturday. They're finding a way because their bullpen is so good and picking up the slack for them. But, man, if they can get that Friday-Saturday pitching, figure out their starters at least, I mean, this this team's going to be lethal. I mean, this team is really going to be lethal. Um, Cozy Rec 25, what did you guys like about the final game in the Clemson baseball series? Um, I really liked that we scored 14 runs and they scored three. <laughs> the home runs were crazy. Yeah, the home runs were wild. I, I mean, I just loved being in the stadium, to be honest with you. I mean, personally – Tom, you and I had a great view of Luke Berryhill's first home run where it's like hook and foul, and I'm I'm trying to wave it fair, wave it fair, and it stays fair. And, I mean, we had a great view for all the home runs. And, I mean, just – I, I, the great thing about that final game is you could just sort of feel like this was like, finally, like getting the monkey off the back. Like, let's let's take out our frustration. Let's pour it on. Leave no doubt. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that was uh, that was pretty awesome thing about that final game for sure. Um, John Michael Austin asks, what are some of the leadership lessons instilled on the players by Coach Kingston and his staff? I mean, as far as leadership lessons are concerned, I mean, I, listen, I think Coach Kingston himself is a great leader, and I think that South Carolina and this team has got veteran leaders, if you will, even if they're new guys. I think some of these JUCO guys that, you know, have played at this level, have played at a high level before, maybe not this level, but played at a high level are definitely taking big-time leadership roles in this team. And that, Listen, I think a guy like a TJ Hopkins, for example, I mean, I don't think that's a guy that – I don't think that's a guy that Coach King has to talk to a lot about being a leader. I mean, he seems to me like a natural-born leader, a guy that loves to compete, loves to win. He's going to go out there and do anything he can do for his team. And, um, you know, so, I, I mean, obviously, I think Coach Kingston himself is a great leader. I think that's where it really all starts. And I think he – he sets the precedent. He sets the example, and I think it all kind of funnels down from there. So, um, Evan underscore slam one two three. Does Dylan Harley need to be replaced with Brett Carey in the starting rotation? Um, so yeah, we definitely just kind of talked about that. I, I I think Dylan Harley. 
I think he stays in the rotation. I mean, I just think he's a guy they're very, very high on. I mean, and you expect he's going to get better. Like, I, I for one, will – I will not be shocked at all and almost half expect him to this weekend against Valparaiso because I think he'll get the start Saturday. I expect him to deal because – you know, coming back after that Clemson series was a huge test for him, and he's coming back against, again, a, a non-conference series that South Carolina, let's face it, should win two of three, maybe even possibly sweep. So I think it'll be an opportunity where he's not going to be facing as good a level of talent as he did against Clemson, and I I honestly fully expect Dylan Hardy to throw really, really well. And he's a guy that just has so much upside. His stuff is so good. Again, I've said it over and over, 94-95 from the left side. Breaking stuff is – phenomenal he's got a great change up it's it's all about just getting over those freshman jitters for him if he can figure that out to me I think he's a guy they want to give every single opportunity to to go out there and really claim that Saturday role because he has the talent so um baseball underscore tiger 1114 which is a very strange South Carolina fan name um what do you think our record is going to be uh I mean it's hard to predict baseball records, to be honest. I mean, I think this is a right around a 40-win team. But other than – I mean, outside of that, I mean, it's tough to predict at this point. But, yeah, I think this is right around a 40-win team. So, um, Squints 2, is Gamecock Nation's hand sore after spanking Clemson's ass during the baseball series? A little bit. <laughs> that's a great question. That, that's a Hall of Fame question. And you know what, though? Mine's not sore at all. I'm ready to spank some more ass, to be honest with you. No homo. Yeah, for real. Um, <laughs> Um, Torrance underscore one. Why did the baseball team not get ranked higher for beating Clemson? Um, well, I think one of the reasons, cause this team still has questions in the starting pitching. And I think another reason too, is that, I mean, listen, I mean, Clemson wasn't like number one in the country. They were 23rd. I mean, yeah. you didn't beat a top 10 team. You know, I, I think Clemson was a team that I said it before. I thought they came in the season overrated for all they lost. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, it is what it is. I mean, baseball rankings are kind of fickle anyways because you make the regional super – blah, 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 whatever. Um, but it is good to see this team get some recognition, even if it's at 24. And if they keep winning, they're going to keep moving up. So, um, Brennan underscore Smith 47. Will Nick Neville be the number one guy at short, or will it be George Khalil? I think this has already been answered, as you've seen over the weekend and tonight. George Khalil getting a big homer. I think they're pretty set on George Khalil. I mean, I really like Nick Neville. I like what he did the first weekend. I think he was hitting like 440 after that first weekend. And since then, he's gone, I think, hitless in like 22 at-bats or something crazy like that. So, George Khalil got the opportunity over the weekend. I was really impressed with him. I, I think the most impressive thing about him, I mean, he getting, he's solid in the field. He's a, he's a, he's a solid hitter. Um, but he really carries himself with a moxie and a swagger and a confidence. Um, and I think that's something that, listen, when you're the type of slump that Nick Neville is in, um, it, it really starts to take a toll on you mentally. And, I mean, I just – you know, I I remember being at the game Friday and he was up and got the two strikes. And, I, you know, I just – I told myself, I'm like, he's about to strike out here. And, you know, I told the guy next to me, I'm, and he did strike out. And I was like, if I'm calling it, you know he's thinking it. Because when you're in that type of slump, the mental midget starts running. I mean, it starts rolling. And you start second-guessing yourself and – that's honestly yeah. the worst spot you can be in. So, um, Zach underscore Gale 23, Brett Carey – or this guy said Brent Carey. Uh, Brett Carey to replace Carmen Majinski. I don't think he gets the Friday night role, but we'll see. Um, by Brantley Strickland, what can be done to improve USC's concession stand quality and wait time issues? Uh, that sounds like a Ray Tanner question. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, 
I mean, I didn't go to the concessions Sunday because I'm a psycho and I watched the entire game start to finish, pretty much never going to the concessions. But, I did it before it started and got enough stuff to last most of the game, like a normal person who knows that South Carolina's concessions are garbage. Yeah, I know, but that, that was definitely something I saw on social media. That was a huge, huge issue. So, I, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I think this is the this this falls under the same category as the streaming question. Just ask Ray Tanner because I have no idea. So, um, in the last question, Alex BT ninety eight. In your opinion, who takes over Carmen's spot? This has been asked a lot. Um, well, actually, a little bit different spin on the question. Who takes over Carmen's Friday night role? I, I think they're going to go with Reed Morgan. I, I just, I don't. You can't give it to Brett Carey already. There's just no way. I mean, he hasn't even started a game yet. So, I just think with the way that Reed Morgan has thrown, but then again. You know, they, they like to keep these guys in a rhythm and keep them on, a, on kind of a schedule, if you will. You know, your starters, you throw the same day every week. And for me, it's like Reed Morgan just threw Sunday and he threw 100 pitches. I mean, they, are they really going to want to bring him back on Friday? So, I don't know. I mean, it, it's a great question. Again, it, it's a very tough decision that I think, uh, you know, Mark Kingston and Skylar Mead have, you know, ahead of them. But, you know, there, there's plenty of capable arms. That's the, that's the best thing for South Carolina is that uh, – you know, there are plenty of capable arms ready to take over. So, appreciate all the questions, guys. Fire as always. We appreciate you guys leaving us some questions. Um, other than that, Tom, anything we may have missed as far as news and notes? I know there were some kind of smaller stuff, but I, I think we've got uh, everything. I mean, the women's basketball team lost at home Mississippi State. They did. State. Lost to Mississippi State. Lost, yep, lost to Mississippi State. SEC uh, sucks, but this week. Is that right? It is what it is, man. I mean – I don't know. I to me, like you're, this is probably the worst the team's been in five or six years. It seems like, and they're two points short of winning the regular season SEC the SEC title. And I mean, yeah, I mean they're still the they might end up winning the tournament. Yeah, so I mean, it's a, it's a down year, <laughs> like yeah. right. And they have like what, like the best recruiting class ever on the way, yeah. like five studs, pretty much. Yep. So, yeah, I think they'll be okay. But, yeah, no, I think that's going to pretty much do it. Obviously, like I said before, we got a really special interview coming up um, with former Gamecocks infielder Drew Crisp. We're going to get to in just a second. Before we do, uh, this interview is brought to you by our friends over at MyBookie. MyBookie.ag, the only gambling site I recommend. Like I talked about, I do my best bet. And, unfortunately, I've been letting you guys down. We're 7-7-1. Seven, seven and one. Um, back at the 500 mark, but we're going to get it turned around started with this Saturday's game against Georgia. I can guarantee you that. So before we do that, go to mybookie.ag, use the promo code SPURSUP. When you create your account, they're going to give you a 50% deposit bonus. So let's say you're going to go gamble time with $1,000 because you know my pick is going to win. Um, <laughs> you get a 50% deposit bonus. They're going to give you an additional $500 to play with um, that you can put down that bet as well. You can place a bet on literally anything. You're talking, obviously, NFL, NHL, NBA, college football, basketball, even politics. You can gamble on literally every anything over at MyBookie. That's MyBookie.ag. If you have any questions for them, you can hit them up on social media, either via tweet, DM, whatever. They'll get back to you literally within minutes. The most responsive online booking site. Their lines are always the most accurate, and payouts are super, super simple. Again, go to mybookie.ag, use the promo code SPURSUP, get your 50% deposit bonus. And remember, with mybookie, you play, you win, you get paid. All right, guys, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks infielder Drew Crisp.
All right, joining me today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks baseball from 2005 to 2009. During his career, hit 303 at Carolina with 27 homers, 130 RBIs, played on some of the best teams in South Carolina history and some of the most daunting lineups the Gamecocks have ever field. I want to welcome to the show Drew Crisp. Drew, appreciate you taking the time to come on. It's a pleasure to have you on. Hey, man, I appreciate it. It's good to be on. Yeah, no, absolutely. So let's go ahead and start. Let's go back to uh, we talked a little bit off air your uh, high school days. You were at Greer High School and Riverside High School. Uh, I know your brother Adam was at South Carolina already playing baseball for the Gamecocks. Talk about just sort of uh, your recruiting process. Was there ever another school in play other than South Carolina that you were, you know, thinking about going to, or were you always did you always know you were going to be a Gamecock? Oh, man. No, I did not know. We had no idea they were going to be Gamecocks. We actually grew up Clemson fans. I know that's kind of rough to uh, say. I'm not a Clemson fan now, but uh, growing up through school, we always went to the Clemson basketball um, camps yearly. And and actually, basketball um, was Adam and I's first sport that we actually excelled in and did well in and loved. Um, So, no, uh, going through the recruitment process, it was – we had had uh, some teams here and there. It was it was crazy because it wasn't a huge, huge process, if you know what I mean. It wasn't a Carolina Clemson fight. It wasn't a uh, you know any hometown really schools that we looked at going to. So during the process, we uh, looked. We actually signed and committed to West Point, the military academy, um, which was crazy for us to even do that we had to have a senator to write a form and and uh had to have a bunch of referrals and all this so we're actually excited about going to west point and and looking forward to really our academic career more than our athletic career and um a thing called the major league draft happened in 2004 and uh didn't really know that we were on the radar we had knew that we were decent our high school team was number one in the nation i mean we had a lot of good players surrounding us we had uh, I think our start nine went to Carolina or Clemson one of them went to Wofford and um, one of the backup catchers when I was playing um, went to Clemson and uh, so we had a we had a, a deep squad so like I said it wasn't a didn't really know where I was going to go until I committed to West Point so uh, like I said the draft happened and um, we were lucky enough and blessed enough to to, to get picked up by the Baltimore Orioles and um, that kind of threw a wrench in everything, man. I mean, as a kid, you you know that you can play a little bit and, and you have aspirations of going to college and playing, but you really, at that time, we were really looking at academically, what, what are we going to do after baseball? Um, and the draft kind of threw a wrench in everything, man. So um, once the draft happened, we sat down with our family and said, look, you know, um, West Point called us and said, uh, we're, we're glad that you were drafted, but we, we do need to let you know up front that um, your junior year, if you're looking to um, play professional baseball and you happen to get drafted again, um, we have the right to tell you no um, and that you have to serve in the military for five-year minimum after. And uh, we had knew that the five-year minimum was a thing, but we didn't really understand at that time before we signed that they could actually tell us no. Um, and if you go back in history, uh, 2004 there was a war going on because of 9-11 and and, uh, 01 so it wasn't a really 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 good time to be stepping into the military and um yeah man it just 
the draft happened and, and Monty Lee called literally the day that we decommitted. I don't even think – I don't even want to call it a day. I think hours uh, after my decommittal, I was at the beach, and uh, Monty Lee called my phone and, and actually didn't even ask. He said, uh, you're coming to Carolina, and that's how it happened. <laughs> Awesome. So I want to shift gears a little bit. Your father, Dean Crisp, he uh, was a multi-sport athlete at Western County University and played two seasons of pro ball uh, for the Minnesota Twins. Just talk about kind of having that that baseball influence, because I'm sure you're a kid, Drew, that you know grew up around the sport, around the game of baseball. What was it like having um, that type of influence in your life, someone obviously being your father, but also playing the game at that level? Yeah, so – Growing up, my dad was a big influence on sports, uh, mainly mainly baseball. But he he told us to you know play as many sports as possible, and 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 I think that kind of helped us mature in situations as far as athletically that the younger kids kind of don't get the opportunity to if they play one sport. Um, so it's crazy. Growing up, I know everybody says that their dad was their hero and their dad was this and that, but but honestly, I can remember. My dad being a, a a bigger than life to me, a bigger than life kind of person, if you know what I mean. He was um, he he still played softball uh, growing up and and professionally, and we we got to travel with him while he played that. And it just we were just surrounded with 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 love and and support and and uh, kind of hard nosed athletic, you know what I mean. So I always looked at him as a just a uh, uh, beyond human to be honest I don't know if that sounds right or not but um it was just crazy man I mean you know obviously him having the ability to get drafted and play professionally and and uh do what he did at Western and and all this stuff and and it, it kind of you know makes you want to be just like him so yeah it, it helped out a lot growing up and and uh it was some good times man For sure. So 2005, obviously, you take the medical redshirt. Let's move into 2006, Drew, which would be your redshirt okay. freshman season. You um, had a fantastic year. Hit 328, which was statistically your best average at Carolina in a season. Seven homers, 22 RBIs. You adjusted very, very quickly, it seems, from uh, high school baseball to high-level collegiate baseball at South Carolina. What do you attribute that quick transition to? I'd be lying if it, if I didn't say that it was the coaching staff, honestly. I mean, the coaching staff and, and, and them having the, um, the backing of me and them, and them trusting me and, having, and, and, and putting me in situations that I can excel, first and foremost, is, is probably the main reason that I uh, caught on so quick. And secondly, probably the environment that I was in. It's kind of sink or swim at Carolina. I, think, I mean, any person that you've ever talked to, um, knows it very well. If you played any sport at Carolina baseball, it's uh, sink or swim. If you do not hit or you do not perform, you do not play. Um, and I think that right there instills in a person that I either need to excel and do the things that I need to do to perform well, or or I need to find something else. So those two together kind of helped. And uh, I, I get to be honest. I mean, it was it was more of just God-given ability, to be honest. I wasn't a type of person that was, um, you know, extra batting practice and this and that, and, and I'll be the first one to tell you that. I mean, I practiced, but it wasn't the 
um, practice till you pass out type of person. So um, uh, three of those things together and, and uh, was a mixture for me to do well my freshman year. Absolutely. I, w- I want to mention as well uh, that freshman year, you know, you earned freshman All-American honors from collegiate baseball, uh, were named to the 2006 SEC All-Freshman team. So, I mean, really a fantastic season. Uh, one thing I noticed, you played all over the field. I mean, you played second, short, third, outfield. Um, I mean, did you embrace that? Did you enjoy kind of being a, a tool player, if you will, that could really just play anywhere? I, I had to learn to. To be honest, I really did. I, I came in. I never put my foot in the outfield at all. Um, and, you know, you shag you shag fly balls uh, during BP, but anything other than that, I I did not play in the grass. So you have to embrace, like I said, it's it, it's sink or swim there. If you if you can hit, um, they'll find a position for you. Mm-hmm. So um, freshman year, um, I came in as a shortstop, played some second base. Um, I feel like if you threw me anywhere on the diamond, as far as the infield, I could, I could, um, figure it out quick, but man, it was playing right field and, um, learning routes, learning, you know, it's different animal in the outfield than it is. I know it doesn't really seem like it when you play in little league and growing up, but it, at a high level collegiate level, it's, it's a lot different than people than people can imagine switching from the infield to the outfield. Um, and I had a little bit of luck, man, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, they had some injuries that forced me, uh, an outstanding, crazy, crazy good player like Michael Campbell that I was uh, able to play with. He had a uh, he got hit in the wrist by David Price at Vanderbilt, and it broke his wrist, and it allowed me the ability to move to center field, which I felt like was going to be an easier transition because I could run a little bit. And uh, some things lined up per- perfectly. Um, I hate to say that because Michael Campbell was an awesome guy and a and an even better player, but uh, it kind of gave me the ability to to move over there and excel. Absolutely. So before I get into 2006, the the Georgia Super Regional, I know everybody wants to talk about that. You mentioned a little bit earlier, obviously, the coaching staff that was intact while you were at South Carolina. Um, you know, you mentioned Ray Tanner, Monty Lee, Jim Tolman, who we know Tolman went, is still coaching right now at Middle Tennessee State. Obviously, Monty Lee, what he's doing at Clemson with that program. Then we all know about Ray Tanner. Uh, talk about right. specifically your relationship with Ray Tanner, because there's been a lot of stories. I know you and I have talked off the air. There's been a lot of different stories about Ray Tanner from – it's interesting. We've been able we've – we've been fortunate enough to talk to players from, you know, the 2010, 11, 12 era – and we've also talked to some guys from 2000, 2001, you know, much earlier in Coach Tanner's tenure. I know you were right in the middle of that. Talk about just kind of your right. relationship and playing under uh, under a legendary head coach like him. Right. It was I, – I, my first years there, um, I was – I'll be honest, I was scared. I was, I was really scared of Coach Tanner, not in a frightful way, but as a, as a, as a dominant person. He was a very, very – um, high-level leadership guy, and, and, and as a young kid coming in, that can intimidate you. Um, so the way that Coach Tanner um, just expected and, and for you to, to do things the right way kind of caught me and made me a little intimidated at the be- to begin with my freshman year. But Coach Tanner was a, um, a great coach. He was Um, very, very, very outspoken as far as leadership. He was um, a very disciplinary coach, um, more of a pro, I would, I would say more of a pro ball style coach than a, 
um, watch what you do, make sure you're doing everything. He expected you to do the little things right in order for you to excel. Um, so he would, he, we'd have practices where um, it was more of a pro style. Um, you hit batting practice, you do what you have to do, side, you know, onto the side, take your ground balls, do your running, but it's never really, you know, demanding us to do it. And I feel like that um, was just his style of coaching and, and obviously it worked and it worked well. Um, but Monty Lee was, was another outstanding coach. He was more of a, a player style coach. He would, he would uh, understand what you're going through. If you had anything that you needed to tell him about school or, or your life, you could talk to him. And uh, he, uh, you, you feel like he had your back and, and, and he took your concerns and, and your questions up the ladder. Um, Coach Tolman was another uh, funny leader style coach. He uh, was very outspoken, um, really, really, really loved the guys, expected like Coach Tanner um, that you did what you needed to to prepare, and um, all those three together were were crazy good um, coaches. And um, yeah, I it, I still haunts me today how we, you know, somehow did not put it together and make it to Omaha. But yeah, no, for sure. I definitely want to get to that because some of the teams you played on, I mean, I could argue were again some of the most talented in South Carolina history, in my opinion. Um, again, 2006, I, we have to touch on it, the Super Regional um, at Georgia. You guys, you know, you were obviously part of the team that hit five home runs in a row. What, were you the third or the fourth home run hit? Am I right there? Because I, I know you weren't the, the first couple. I forget which one it is. Yeah, it was, um, I, I was the fourth in the second inning. And, I, and with a lot of people, they look at that five home runs in a row and they say, wow, that's crazy. But that game was we, – we, we were up three to nothing going into that second inning. Mm. I hit a home run to center field in the first inning to put us up three to nothing leading into the second inning where we hit the five in a row. Um, so I was the fourth um, that time. It was – if I remember right, it was Neil Geisler who led it mm. off. Um, Phil Disher, Justin Smoke, me, Robbie Grindstaff. That right. were the, those were the row. So, yeah, just kind of just walk us through I mean, that whole scenario because, I mean, in baseball, you know, hitting back-to-back home runs is a feat. But hitting five in a row is just something that just doesn't happen. I mean, just talk about from the players' oh, yeah. perspective what that was like. It was, it was crazy because it was, it was like you didn't really believe – we didn't believe it was going on as well. I know the fans didn't, and I know the people on the – I can remember re-watching the game and, and the announcers saying, I cannot believe this. This is – we couldn't either. I mean, it was – you know, you, you put your head down and, and grab a, a sip of Gatorade and you look up, another one's going over the fence. And by the time you had really had a grasp of what really was going on, I feel like I was up to bat. And we're like, wow, let, let me check. This is three in a row and he just hit another one. That's four. So – it was amazing. I remember that day. It was super, super hot. It was, oh, I, I don't even know if it was over 100, but it fell to 110 in Georgia. Um, the fans were crazy. It was loud. It was ecstatic. We were, man, it was electric. Um, it was a awesome environment to be around. And, um, yeah, I'm just blessed to be a part of, uh, of, of history, to be honest with you. Put us in the right position to, to, to hit the balls over the fence. Absolutely. So, like you said, you hit a home run in the first inning to give South Carolina the three nothing lead. 
Um, you come up, like you said, I mean, you're the fourth man. There's been back-to-back-to-back home runs hit in front of you. I mean, do you have any, you know, thoughts? And I know that you guys, your kind of mentality was the long ball and stuff like that. But, I mean, are you in your head saying, I'm, you know, I'm going to try to one-up my teammate and <laughs> hit it over the fence as well? I mean, what, yeah, what are I mean, you mentally thinking there? Yeah, I mean, I would be lying if I didn't say that I was thinking about hitting a home run. I mean, you had guys, <laughs> three guys in front of you, you're trying to hit another one. Yeah, you don't want to be the guy to – to, to hit one off the off the fingers back to the pitcher, um, yeah. I mean, it, the story goes that we there was a lefty. I forgot his name. And uh, three in a row: Neil, Neil Giesler, uh, Phil Disher, and then Justin Smoke. And then they call a timeout, and I'm on deck. And I'm walking up, and I'm like, okay, I get to get a piece of this, man. I, I'm going to hit another home run. They call a timeout, and they do a pitcher change. So I walk back to the to the uh, on deck circle and I'm thinking, okay, we got a righty now. And I had knew from the season playing against him that he was about a 93 to a 94, and he had a little bit of run, or he had a little run in um, on his fastball. And uh, so, you know, obviously walking up to the plate, I'm not thinking about hitting the home run. I'm, we got a whole new pitcher that's coming in throwing 94. Um, but uh, I get up there and and you know, three guys back-to-back-to-back hitting home runs, it inherently gives you some, you know, it gives you the ability to think, oh, oh man, I can do this. So it gives you some some power to say, okay, I can do this too. But honestly, I was really not trying to hit a home run when the guy came in, a new guy came in. I was just trying to keep keep the roll going. So he comes in and throws a pitch. I believe it was a fastball outside first pitch um, um, ball. He throws another – I think he throws a two-seam, but it doesn't run that much for a strike. And now we're one and one. And I believe he threw me a change-up, and it backed up right into the barrel. Um, and that was the home run. Right. And and so there's another one hit after you, obviously. And then the next man, I mean, you, you guys could have had six in a row. I mean, the sixth guy, I forget who it was up, but, I mean, he hit one probably 330 feet. Um, yeah. It was Ian Paxler or Setzer. Right. Yeah. I mean, for, yeah. He hit one and it, I thought it was gone. Yeah. Like, no. There is no way we hit six in a row. And the guy literally caught it on the track. Yeah. I mean, it, it's in the, it's funny when you're watching like the video of it. I mean, it looks like off the bat, it's probably gone. I think one of my favorite parts, because again, Drew, I'm sure you've seen the video a thousand times, but my, one of my favorite parts <laughs> is I'm not sure if it's after he gives it the fourth or the fifth home run in a row. You see the shortstop or whoever it is come over and grab him by the yeah. jersey and you just you yeah, and he dropped the, the uh, on him. <laughs> yeah you can see him kind of snap yeah. on him on the field i mean it's just yeah, yeah i mean definitely one I of those up playing with that guy really I grew, I grew up playing with the uh the third baseman in east cobb uh we played in atlanta travel ball growing up and uh yeah i grew up with several of those players um their shortstop uh the third baseman the left fielder uh, Gordon Beckham, the um, shortstop, the left fielder um, that caught Ian Paxson's ball. We had grown up playing with them. So it was a really good feeling, man, to get that over on them, you know. No, absolutely, absolutely, for sure. Um, while we're on the subject, obviously, your entire career at Carolina, I mean, you play with the likes of, you mentioned them, but Disher, Darnell, Smoke, Havens, guys that can hit the ball out of the yard. I'm probably leaving some off grind staff as well. Um, and then yourself, obviously, I mean, you know, only double-digit home runs your senior season, but you were right at seven, eight, ten home runs a year. Um, and we've heard a lot of stories, at least I have, just heard about kind of Ray Tanner's hitting philosophy. And I heard something from somebody tell me that Ray Tanner's hitting philosophy was singles clog the bases. Um, just talk about right. what you guys' approach was at the plate. I mean, was it really that mentality of 
you know, we're going to live and die by the home run? Because, I mean, you certainly had the team to do so. Absolutely. Uh, and I think even Ray Tanner would tell you that in his younger years um, with those teams, especially 04 to 08, when we had uh, quote-unquote murderer's row, absolutely. It was live and die by the home run. It was um, – and we did a really good job of living by it. We didn't really die by it. So it, it was no fault to them for wanting to do that. I mean, heck, you had guys hitting 20 home runs a year, uh, averaging 22, 17, 15, 10. I mean, yeah, it was – you look in the dugout, and he had this um, this this motion of um, pointing his hand up to the sky above his – right below his neck. So pretty much like pointing to the sky. And if you got that, it was – swing out of your shoes and try to hit the ball over the palm trees. That was what Coach Tanner, that was the signal, and, and we got that a lot. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you, so your South Carolina career, obviously, like I talked about, 2007, 8, 9, you hit 283, 296, and 313 as a senior, uh, seven, or excuse me, uh, eight home runs, two home runs your, uh, your junior year, and then 10 your senior year. How do you feel you improved from the first part, from when you first stepped on campus to being a senior, where do you feel like you improve most as a hitter and just as a ball player in general? I mean, it's it, I, to be honest, if you look at the stats on paper, it would look like I fluctuated, right? My first year, I had an All-American year. My second year, I hit okay. I mean, I, I did really well leading into the Super Regional, and I went over 12, I believe, in the Super Regional against North Carolina, and that kind of hurt my average. I was always above 300 leading into the, leading into the playoffs. Um, in the postseason and then you have my junior year which I had to have back surgery so what a lot of people don't know is that entire year um, I played with a broken back so to hit 280 with two home runs is a decent year for anybody I, I, and I had to have treatment every day uh, heat and pads um, medicine I mean it was a bad 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 year as far as health goes um, but I just wanted to be there for the team and and um, just do what I needed to do and then my senior year, actually, it was when I put it together, right? You, you, you bat over 300, you hit double-digit home runs. Um, you finally get to where you want to be, and it's kind of too little, too late, one of those things. But um, I feel like, you know, we won't talk about freshman year because freshman year it kind of seemed like everything was together. We'll talk about sophomore to senior year. I think everything that – anything that changed to me was just being more mature, Um just knowing what you needed to do, knowing, you know, what these pitchers are trying to do to you. They've seen you for three, four years. They know how to pitch you. It gets harder and harder every year that you play, um, obviously, because the, the team scouts you. They know what you get out on, what you can't hit, what you do well, and what you don't do well. So the maturity was a big factor. Um, the coaching staff um, always staying on you, always making you um, want to do better, making you believe in yourself. Um, pushing you to do to do well that absolutely helped and and uh, big thing was just just the maturity I mean you as you get older you get smarter and you get wiser and, and you and you kind of figure things out absolutely so Drew you were uh, you were fortunate to play in one of the best rivalries in college baseball obviously Carolina Clemson um, I, I talked about this you know a couple of weeks ago with Blake Cooper about some of the memorable memorable games you guys had you know while you were there as well I mean I think specifically of Harley Lale throwing up the four to the Clemson fans in right field after you guys sweep the season series. I think of uh, Justin Smoke getting back off the plate and then hit one what seemed like a thousand feet to right field out of the ballpark there. Yeah. Um, talk about right. your you know your memories from the Carolina Clemson rivalry. What your biggest takeaways were and 
I guess just some of your best memories from that. Absolutely. Both of those were, were really big, big, big memories. The, I, I believe the, the four in a row when Harley, that was at Clemson when he caught a ball. I, I'm right. sure, and I think that was the same game, if I'm not mistaken, as Smoke hitting that home run. But what I do remember about Smoke hitting that home run, trust me, I, I remember it vividly because I was on deck when Smoke hit that home run. I get up the plate and the guy hits me square in the back with my broken back. Square in the back. And, and me not being happy at all, kind of flipped my bat and looked at him. And it kind of started one of those um, – not clear the dugout things, but you know, uh, that was, that was kind of crazy. I mean, I was not feeling well, uh, up to the plate and to get hit square in the back with a broken back. Um, that didn't feel well, but, uh, that I, I believe they were best friends. So I, you learn this after the fact, I didn't know they were best friends. Then I wanted to, to charge them out. But after, <laughs> after, you know, knowing that they're best friends, I kind of shook it off. Like, Oh, well, he had to do what he had to do, man. He got showed up. So that was big. I think, um, our, my senior year, it was uh, memorable because we um, just had a really good team and you kind of grew up with these guys and, and uh, got to play with these guys several years and to put it together your last year um, at Clemson, um, that was kind of cool to be around. And, and like Blake said, I mean, Blake Cooper was, was a big role in, in us beating Clemson. Uh, so was uh, Sam Dyson. And um, uh, Michael Roth, they were all all key on us beating Clemson. Jackie Bradley Jr. was a, another key my senior year for, for us beating Clemson. So I just feel like, you know, the memories of the Clemson game are, are – I think Blake said it perfect. Whenever you got off the bus, you literally had to walk through a line of Clemson fans from your bus to our dugout with them not saying nice things at all. But um, it just kind of – you had to you had to get up for those games. It wasn't a, it wasn't a game you could take off. You, you had to mentally get prepared for this stuff. I mean, Clemson fans literally do their homework. I can remember being in the outfield, and um, they do the, they literally do their homework for those games. They'll get on your Facebook. They'll know your girlfriend's name. They knew they knew my mom's nickname. I don't know how they knew that, um, but I remember them saying my mom's nickname and me turning around like really, and they knew it. Um, I don't like I said I don't know where they're getting this information from, but uh, they it was a crazy rivalry. But I, I really wouldn't trade it for anything in the world because it was some of the best environment and games that you could ever play on a collegiate level. Absolutely. So Drew, was it ever weird for you? Because you talked about you grew up a Clemson fan. Was it ever strange for you playing against Clemson at Clemson, or was it a scenario where you got on campus at Carolina and completely flipped the switch? Yeah, it was never. I was. I mean, trust me. When I, I'd like to, to to tell everybody out there listening, just because I went to Clemson basketball camps growing up, absolutely not. I was not a Clemson fan. Um, when I got on Carolina campus, it was trying to stomp them as much as we could, uh, run the score up, do what we needed to to beat them. Um, and no, it, it, it. Trust me. When you when you're a freshman at, at Carolina and you go to the first rivalry game, you kind of don't know what to expect because you haven't never played in a game like that. But once you step field, step your foot on Clemson's field and they start talking the way they do to you, it's not hard to not like them. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, it it wasn't a it wasn't a a hard thing, and it was kind of a seamless transition to to to, to jump on the other side once I I was wearing the garnet and black. 
Absolutely. So, Drew, you're one of, you know, very few men that can say they went from uh, the transition that South kind of went through when they went from Sarge Fry Field to Founders Park. Um, obviously, Sarge Fry, very beloved amongst Gamecock baseball fans. I remember me specifically thinking to myself, you know, when they were talking about, you know, having a new park and having Founders Park, thinking to myself, you know, Sarge Fry is great. Why would you want a new park? And then obviously you see Founders Park and take it in. I mean, it's it's immaculate. But talk about just what it was like, you know, closing out Sarge Fry. I mean, the way you guys did, Reese Havens hits a walk-off. I know that had to be sweet. But closing out Sarge Fry and then being able to open up Founders Park as well your senior year. Yeah, it was – It was well, if you want to talk about that Tennessee game, that was crazy. I think it was the 13th inning. Reese comes up and hits a walk-off. Uh, back and forth game the entire time, and we actually needed that game – to give us a little push into the postseason, um, so that was what a way to to close out a a historic park like Sarge Fry with a walk off home run, and then um, what a way to open up a place like the uh, Founders Park with Darius Rucker singing the national anthem. I mean, those two things right there are more than a lot of college players could even say that they've been around and been a part of at, at any other campus. So um, it was a all of us were unsure. Uh, the ones that have played the majority of their time at Sarge Fry, um, the the older guys that we played around, a lot a lot of us were unsure what what to expect. Because um, I can remember us practice uh, going to go hit um, batting practice. I remember my junior year, we it was unsure if I was going to get drafted or not. And uh, Coach Tanner specifically took four or five or six of us that were that were on the verge of getting drafted or, or guaranteed to get drafted like Smoke and Reese and Darnell and actually took us over to Founders Park while it was still dirt and allowed us to hit back practice on us, which was a very, very nice thing for, for Coach Tanner to do um, for those guys that weren't didn't know if they were going to experience it or not. So I remember going over there and, and, and actually thinking, like, is this park really going to be done? I mean, it, it was not as built as I thought it would at that time leading into the end of the season. So um, I remember that that memory and then stepping foot actually uh, the day, the, the uh, first game when Darius Rucker sang the national anthem. I mean, I don't know if you were there, um, which I don't think any Carolina fan in this state was not there for that game, but <laughs> it was crazy, man. The vibe, the Darius Rucker singing the national anthem, it felt like, you were on top of the world. It felt like you were in a major league ballpark um, during opening day. It really did. It had that vibe. It um, it was just amazing. And and obviously the, um, I think they've done some upkeeps and and some things to the to the stadium after that season, especially since they've won the national championships twice and and done a, uh, some great things. They've they've added some things to that park. But um, yeah, what a just blessed man to be able to to. to finish out Sarge Bryan and open up uh, Founders Park the way that we did. No doubt. So I have to ask because I feel like Founders Park is a launching pad for hitters. I mean, it seems like the ball really flies out of there. But in your opinion, what was more of a hitter-friendly park? Was it uh, Sarge Fry or Founders Park? Sarge Fry. I believe Sarge Fry was a launching pad. I, I personally think Sarge Fry was an absolute launching pad, especially if you caught it on a day where the wind was blowing out. I mean, you, you could bunt a ball out of there. But uh, Founders Park, it was it was hit or miss. I mean, it, some days during batting practice, you hit it literally. Uh, we'd have guys hit it in the top deck uh, on left field. 
Um, and some days you'd hit it and, and to center field and it would just, it wouldn't even go. Um, so I think Sarge Fry on that, that way it was, it was a little, it was a little bit easier to hit it out at Sarge Fry, but it it wasn't terribly hard to hit it out at, at Founders Park either. But I mean, I, I'll be honest, the, 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 the core bats that we used didn't, you know, didn't, um, take any of that away either. You know what I mean? It kind of helped us out no matter what, 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 uh, the wind was doing with those bats we were using. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, you know, for your career, obviously, um, you know, again, you bounced all the field transition, you know, your senior season, 10 home runs, 53 RBIs, you hit 313. Um, talk about just kind of what clicked for you. I know you already talk, mentioned kind of where you improved, but your best year statistically, especially with the home runs, especially with the RBIs, I mean, 53 ribbies was by far your most. What clicked for you that final season? It, it was really just the, the ability to get stronger um, I think that the transition from the back surgery and Billy Anderson really, really, really focusing on me and getting strong um, before the beginning of the season way more than we ever have because of the time frame that Adam and I had with our back surgery. By the way, we both had the same injury, which is crazy considering we're twins and done everything the same all of our life. We have the same back injury. It's kind of like, I don't know how that happens, but um I believe the back surgery, we had a back surgery in June. We waited until the end of the season, my junior year, had it probably the next week, um, was out until January, I believe, of the ne- 2009. So I literally only had a month, not even a month, to prepare for the oncoming, the oncoming season, the upcoming season. So Billy Anderson, I mean, I remember – there were days that we had worked out twice. We had ran twice. We had done lunges twice. I mean, having to do these things, I think that really helped um, as far as the durability of me during that season. Um, and we, of course, we, we worked out leading into any season. But I think the focus says we can't take any days off. There is no – there. you don't have the ability to rest. You have to actually put it in fifth gear, not second gear. Um, so that really helped and the ability to transition from a 33 to a 34 ounce bat, I believe. Um, I don't know how other people say, but I believe that give me the ability to get some extra hits, um, with a little heavier bat than I would with a 33. Um, it, it gave me the ability to hit the ball a little bit further. Um, obviously you have to be a little bit stronger to swing that bat throughout the year. Um, but. I think the change from 33 to 34 helped a little bit in that. And just the, like I said before, just the maturity, um, just knowing that these guys are, this is what they're probably going to do to you. This is the way they're going to come to you. Um, you need to be a little bit more aggressive and early in the count to get your pitch. Don't miss your pitch. Um, that coupled with uh, Coach Tanner just um, letting me be free to swing, um, not kind of overcoaching like some people do, just kind of letting us. Um, you know, do well with the, with, with the strengths that we have, um, that, and, and just the God given ability to be able to, to perform and, and to be able to be athletic enough to perform at that level, all that mixed together is a great recipe for a decent year. For sure. So I want to go back a little bit, Drew, because, you know, you talked about your brother, Adam Crisp, uh, being able to play with him. How cool was that? Obviously being able to play with your brother and your twin, being able to play collegiate baseball together. Man, it was um, 
I, I can't really explain it. The only way that I can really explain it is if you actually do it yourself. You don't really know the bond that you have with a person until you have a twin. Um, having a twin and growing up with that person is, is like having a best friend your entire life every day. Um, and, and if you have the ability to play at a high level of collegiate sports and, and professional or whatever it may be with that same person, um, it's kind of a dream come true. Um, obviously, you have the stresses of wanting them to perform. You have uh, the thoughts in your head that you want them to do well as you. You want them to perform and you want them to play as much as you do. Um, and, the, and your hands are kind of tied in that because it also depends on how they perform. So it was kind of a catch-22. You, you, you felt great that you had your, your sibling there with you to go through the ups and downs. But you also had that inside internal feeling of, I hope that he does well. I hope that he hits the ball during the scrimmages. I hope that he does the things that, that I'm doing well. So um, the vast majority of the time there, it was a great experience with Adam. Um, and uh, I really, really enjoyed it. He's actually sitting next to me right now as we speak. So I wanted him to kind of be in on this as well and, and kind of hear from you and, and uh, enjoy bringing back the old times that we had at Carolina. Absolutely, for sure. So uh, keeping that same theme, I want to again go back to, I want to get kind of your take, Drew, and Adam as well, if he wants to chime in, 2006, 7, 8, um, even 2009, but really you talked about kind of murderer's row, and we talked about murderer's lineup. I mean, you guys, one through nine, you hit the ball out of the yard. I think some of the best lineups in South Carolina history, and you know, I would argue with all due respect to those 2010 through 2012 teams, I could argue that you guys were not just just as talented, but I think maybe even more talented than those teams that went on and won the national championship. What, in your opinion, maybe just didn't click? Um, Because, again, all the talent on those teams, you guys came very close a couple times to getting to Omaha, but were unable to – or unsuccessful, if you will. Uh, What, in your opinion, just was kind of missing from those teams that held you guys back? I think on paper, you're absolutely correct. On paper, um, we – I could argue that we had one of the best lineups, pitching, pitching stats, and, and total teams that Carolina's ever marched out on that field. Um, but as you, you, you know as well as I do, on lineup doesn't get you to the national championship. So I think that those teams in 2010, what they had in 11 and 12, what they had that we didn't really have are lucky breaks, um, some, some, some key – um, timely hitting um, that sometimes we didn't have as much as they did, and some of the depth in, in the pitching staff um, as far as the relief pitchers. Um, we had some great pitchers, um, but I think they had a little bit more depth as far as the relief goes um, to kind of get them out of some sticky situations where we had to rely on hitting home runs and hitting doubles and, and using our bats. That really is what I saw. Um, but, of course, you know, when I'm watching, I'm watching as a fan. Um, I'm not playing anymore. I'm just sitting back watching and enjoying them win. So um, on paper, I, I, you and I and, and whoever, I'd argue till I'm blue in the face to say that uh, we had one of the best all-around lineups that I think, I, to be honest, I can argue in, in, in college baseball um, anywhere that, that had. I mean, when you have your third baseman, your shortstop, and your first baseman all first-round or lottery picks, I mean, that right there speaks for itself, uh, you know, and, 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 and you got me, you know, uh, the guy bringing back up the rear playing second, but we had a solid, solid team 
um, on paper. And I think we had a solid team as well when we played and, and we were playing together. But like I said, I mean, you've got to have some lucky breaks to get it to get to the point where they did. Um, and I'm not saying by any means that, that their entire season was lucky. No means am I saying that at all. They, they performed, they pitched, they hit, they did everything that they needed to to put them in a position to go to Omaha and win. I just think in the Super Regionals, when we were playing, we, we got some unlucky draws. We had to play uh, North Carolina, the one who went to the national championship the year before and had the, basically the exact same team. Going into that series, that wasn't really an ideal series to make it to Omaha to begin with. Um, but I say that, and, and, and we had the, the multiple chances to win those games. We were up by four, I believe, in every game. Um, leading back to the 06 series, we were up by nine, I believe, at one time, or seven, and lost mm-hmm. the game. So I think when you, when, you get it, when you have a team that's so heavy on hitting and, and, and hitting home runs, it, it really just gets – you just get tired. You get to those games where you played 60, 50 something games and you're just tired. I mean, when you have to, when you have to rely on hitting and, and scoring a set number of, of runs a game to win, I think you just get physically tired and mentally tired. And I think that, that didn't help as well, but by no means am I, am I, am I saying anything for any, against any player. I love every player that I've ever played with. I think that every player they performed perfectly. I think that uh, we just didn't have some good luck uh, as those teams did. And, and uh, I can remember, I'm not trying to blame the rep, the umpires, but I can remember one key moment in the Georgia Super Regional where uh, Wynn Pelzer, who was our, um, one of our starting pitchers, relief pitchers, he kind of did everything. But um, he threw a pitch, he threw a split finger, and uh, full count, bases loaded, and I believe we were up a couple runs maybe in the late innings of the second game. We had already won the first game, and you know how that score went. But um, we were really walking into Omaha. We really were. I mean, everybody on the team, if you ask them, they'd tell you. We were, we were literally walking into Omaha. We already had our bags packed, and, um, you know, we when Pelzer throws a split finger, and it backs up and actually literally, literally – the, the, the catcher catches the ball, frames it right down the middle. I was playing center field. I remember it right down the middle, but the umpire flinched. I think he believed that it was going to be a fastball up, and his split finger broke down, and it literally landed down the middle. The, the batter froze, strike three, and he froze and called it a ball. And I don't know if you remember that. Walked the runner in, and that literally blew the air out of any momentum that we had um, in that inning, and it kind of just uh, the cookie crumbled from there. I mean, it just kind of happened, and a guy got a double, I think, after that, and cleared the bases. And it was kind of one of those things where you 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 didn't want to watch it, but you couldn't stop running in the outfield from people hitting, you know. And it was crazy, crazy. Like I say, I I, I wake up thinking about those games more than anything in my life now. I I, I look back and and ask, and I know a lot of Gamecock fans. Are, are asking the same questions. How in the world does a team like that not make it? And and I hope I, I gave you a, a good enough answer. I think that if you ask anybody, they'll have some other things to maybe they thought that maybe I didn't perform as well as I should. You know, who, who's to know? But I think we just didn't have a, a little bit of luck on our side that those those games. Right, and I completely agree with you that if you look at really any sport, I mean, teams that win championships, you need some good fortune along the way. And, I mean, I, you know, I will say I agree with you, not in like a negative way. It is just crazy to look back and think of 
it, it's wild to think that those teams never made it to Omaha. And it's kind of a shame, in my opinion, because, you know, yeah. I don't think the country ever got to really, you know, on that national stage in Omaha kind of get to see, you know, display yeah. you guys. Because, I mean, like you said, you talk about those lineups, you talk about those guys that were drafted. I mean, you know, Smoke's still playing now. Yeah. He's in the MLB. I mean, they, they were obviously – Tons oh, yeah. of talent on those oh, yeah. teams. But, you know, the reality, Drew, is that, I mean, now obviously you can say that you played baseball at the University of South Carolina that's now a two-time national right. champion. When you – obviously you finished your career in 2009. Um, how awesome was it? You know, I, I know obviously there was probably a little bit of sting, maybe a little bit of a – I remember I think there was an article. Uh, Drew Meyer was an assistant coach in the team talking about he was a little bit jealous that they, you know, they got to win right. the championship. And, <laughs> you know, he went to Omaha yeah. and, you know, they, they, they were un, un unable to complete it but uh what was that like for you I mean getting to watch guys that like you said you kind of grew up with and you know guys that were probably your best friends you know go to Omaha and win a national title I was and and I'll and I'll side with Drew Meyer uh I I like Drew we've we've had several conversations um I wouldn't say as much as being jealous I would just say as much as as wondering how in the world did it happen um knowing that that team essentially was the team that we had no nine minus just minus just a few players um I think that was kind of the thought watching those games you were happy for them I was I was ecstatic ecstatic that that they were in Omaha I mean you know like you said I mean you you watch players that you grew up in high school like Kyle Enders and um players that you really got close to you know Whit Merrifield Jackie Bradley some really really good players happy for them that they they got over that hump um that we were unsuccessful doing but yeah, there was that feeling that you were absolutely happy for them, but there was that feeling of, man, I wish that uh, if we just put it together, you know. What we And like you said, I, I think that we, we didn't do the, the nation, the college baseball fans, a favor of, of losing in the Super Regionals because I can tell you this, that 016 um, would have been a joy to watch in Omaha. Um, we would have put on a clinic on the Ray Tanner um, – hitting home runs I can tell you that <laughs> uh, no but yeah it was, was yeah it was it was it was a mixture of of emotions for sure but um at the end of the day um it only makes us look better if you if you look at it in a mature way it only really makes your playing career look better and makes uh, your stats that you put up even better and it and it um it gives you the ability to say that you actually played for a two-time national championship college team. Yeah, without a doubt. So I want to go back to your senior season, Drew, because one thing I don't want to miss on, uh, during your senior year, you became just the 22nd player in school history to record 200 or more career hits. Um, just talk about kind of what that milestone means to you and just, you know, knowing that you were a guy that was at South Carolina and, you know, long enough and made a big enough contribution to, like, achieve such a feat. Right. Um, yeah, the, the, the 200 hit was kind of crazy. I was actually, it was actually like a storybook line. It, it, my 200 hit, I was in Greenville in my hometown when that happened. We were playing Furman um, at um, the Red Sox or Greenville Drive Stadium. Um, and um, yeah, it was, it was kind of surreal. It was like, wow, did I really, did, have I really got that many hits? It kind of flew by, you know, I was a, a type of guy that, you know, I knew I got, a couple of hits a game and, and there were games where I went over, but I didn't really realize that I had had that many hits until actually coach Tanner came up to me before um, the 200 hit and uh, told me no pressure, but uh, if you get a hit, you're going to be in the 200 club. So 
um, that was kind of a, a crazy moment. And I remember, I think I got a single up the middle and then uh, Sammy Esposito told me to take my hat off and turn to the crowd. And that was kind of a cool moment. You know, you feel like you've kind of done something, you know, you feel like all that hard work and all that, all those hits and sweat and cries and tears have, have kind of meant something as far as um, your career. And you can kind of look back on it and tell your kids and your grandkids that, you know, um, not only did you play, but you actually did this, you know? So, um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, I'm very blessed, man. I keep saying that, but I'm, I'm, I'm very blessed to be put in a situation where Carolina gave me the ability and the chance to actually play there. And I'm very blessed to have the the upbringing and the skills, the God given skills that gave me the ability to, to actually get those hits. So, um, and the teammates that all helped me through it, I, I, it's all on them, man. It's, if, if it were up to me to do it alone, I, I couldn't have done it without them. Yeah, and you shattered – I just want to mention, you shattered that 200-hit mark. You finished your career with a 262 total. You actually, actually had 82 in 2009. So, definitely, uh, you know, and being just, like I said, one of just 22 guys to do it, I know is a huge feat. Uh, I want to talk about your post-baseball career a little bit, Drew, because, you know, we talked a little bit off-air – and, you know, we both know that, you know, baseball is a game that it's very unique in the sense that when it's over, you know, each individual player, I feel like, handles it a little bit differently. You know, some guys just right. sort of take it in stride and it's really doesn't really affect them. You know, other guys, we all know guys that, you know, it, it really it really hurts and they take it really, really hard. Uh, talk about what it was like for you once you had played your final baseball game, how you were able to make the transition from uh, being a baseball player to just kind of going into everyday life. It, I'll be honest, man, it wasn't easy. And I think any any high level or, or or not even high level, any person that has an identity as a as a as an athlete, um, may that be a professional or a college or a high school, whatever it may be, um, I don't think it gets any easier the last game that you play. Um it was um kind of one of those things where you where you're sitting in the dugout of ECU kind of scratching your head saying, How in the world did we lose this game? And then thinking, Oh, well, we lost it, and then I'm not going to be able to play again unless I get drafted and, and I'm able to play pro ball, blah, 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 whatever that comes. If, if that happens, it happens. If not, you know, it was one of those things where you didn't really know what to do. It was uh, – I knew what I was I was going to do at that moment. I was going to get on the bus, and I was going to go to the hotel, and then I was going to figure it out from there. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it was very difficult, um, the transition from being a, a, uh, a sports player and having your identity as an athlete to being a normal working class person, it was, it was really, really, really difficult. And um, the transition was not seamless at all. Um, you kind of, when you put all of your work and effort into being a, a, an athlete and, and making it in, and one thing, you don't really put any of your coins in any other pot. So, you know, you go to school and you, and you focus on, and on a, a degree, but you're not really sure what you're going to do with that degree. And it didn't really help me that in 09, when I graduated, the, the, the housing market crashed, the jobs were obsolete. There were no jobs whatsoever. So the transition really from, from college sports being on the top of the mountain to um, essentially moving back in with your, your parents, it, it was, it was difficult, man. And, and I have my brother to, 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 helped me tra move and transition into, into normal working life. He was already working as a sheriff's deputy then. So that helped out with him showing me the way of how to, how to make money and how to save and how to, and how to work every day compared to 
um, waking up and, and taking batting practice and, and kind of living that lifestyle. Um, so, uh, you know, it was, it wasn't easy. Um, and I'm, and I'm, and I've got to the point where I'm kind of passionate about that transition. I'm, 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 I would like to, to reach out to players that are having a hard time and let them know that it's okay. People have these feelings, you know, I mean, when you, when you're, when you put yourself as an athlete above anything, um, it's okay to feel the way that you do. It's okay to feel empty if you do um, when you're not playing anymore, but there are things that you're able to do to help. So yeah, it was a big, big turning point in my life. It was a couple of years where I didn't really know what to do, to be honest with you. I mean, it was, I knew how to play baseball decent and uh, I didn't really know how to go to work. So um, figuring that out and um, um, having family there to surround you and say, it's okay to fail. And it's okay to not know what to do really helped. Um, but other than that, man, there's no magic recipe. There's no, there's nothing I can tell you to make it easier, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I, th I think if you talk to a ton of, of um, athletes that uh, graduate uh, college and, and either don't have the ability to go to pro ball or do have the ability to go to pro ball and then pro ball ends and the carpet gets ripped up under you. I think anybody there would tell you that, um, it's a very difficult, difficult time in their lives, but it's, it's not something that you can't get over if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, no, very well said. Very, very well said. Um, all right, Drew, well, I'm going to get you out of here, but lastly, before I let you go, uh, favorite memory or maybe story that you can tell us from, uh, playing under Ray Tanner. I know obviously a lot, a lot of guys have uh, different experiences with coach Tanner, but I, I wonder if you have any good stories from, uh, from playing under him. Man, there's been there were so many good times. Um, I feel like the really, really the times that that I remember that are that are funny now um, were not so funny uh, in college. As far as uh, some of our teammates doing some things that weren't really good, um, I'm not really going to go into that. But those were those were some some definitely memorable times at Carolina. I think the Clemson game. Uh, I think Blake Cooper. Um, kind of said those are kind of the big things that you take that take uh, with you when you leave school that just that rivalry um, I think playing at the Greenville Drive Stadium in front of family tons of family and, and being there with Adam playing as well that was a really really big time as far as me as far as like I've made it man I'm, I'm playing in front of my my family and my friends drove up here and I'm I'm hitting balls and I'm playing for Carolina and that was a an awesome thing. I think just sharing the field with the likes of Smoke and Havens and Darnell and and I don't want to leave anybody out. I'm, I'll just go down the list. Brian Staff, uh, Ian Paxton, um, Jackie Bradley, Whit Merrifield, Scott Wingo, my guy Scott Wingo, um, Bobby Haney. Um, there are a ton of players. Kyle Enders, Alex Ferrado, um, guys that we grew up with. Man, it just it was just a memorable. Our memorable time at Carolina, man, just to be alive and to share the field with those guys and sit back in the dugout and watch them perform. And uh, D'Angelo Mack, my old roommate, man, he was an awesome guy to be around, um, an even better person. Um, I can say the same for Jackie, just an even better person. Um, and Trent Klein was an also was an awesome guy. I mean, I can go down the list, man. Those that 06 to 08 teams, those teams were phenomenal and. Uh, and uh, I want everybody listening to it just to, to know that I appreciate uh, everything that everybody has ever done to me. I appreciate Coach Tanner, uh, Toman, and, and Monty Lee and Mark Calvi. 
um, awesome, awesome, awesome coaches, even better guys. And um, I appreciate you having me on and letting Adam and I uh, kind of reminisce on some good times. Yeah, man, all good memories. I wanted to say as well, Drew, you know, obviously I know you guys, uh, you know, look back, didn't make it to Omaha, but I would definitely say just from a Gamecock fan perspective, you guys certainly, uh, you know, really laid the foundation for what occurred in 2010 to 12. And, you know, I really think you guys kept right. the tradition tradition of Carolina baseball alive. Obviously, everybody knows how, how special Carolina baseball is. I tell people all the time, it's sort of, the, you know, football will always be king, you could say, in the southeast. But baseball is really the right. crown jewel of South Carolina. And I think, obviously, you guys were a ton of fun to watch and did nothing to uh, to disappoint when, when you were there. So, you know, obviously, from a Gamecock fan perspective, we, uh, you know, we truly appreciate the good times because, again, those were – in my opinion, those were some of the most fun teams to watch. I mean, you're hitting it all all over the yard like you guys were. I mean, it was a blast. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you uh, being a passionate fan. We appreciate you yelling at us and telling us to do better. <laughs> that uh, if it, it, you know, if you talk to anybody, those those really those constructive criticism really does work, man. So we appreciate uh, the fans, the ups and downs, the bad and the good. We appreciate it all, and uh, I look forward to listening to your podcast and enjoying it, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks to you. Also, Adam, as well. And, you know, let's do it again sometime for sure. We'd love to have you back on. Yeah, man, just reach out and uh, we'll holler at you soon, man. Appreciate it, buddy. All right, appreciate it. So for Drew Crisp, Adam Crisp, Thomas Floyd, and myself, we appreciate you guys tuning in. We'll catch you next week on another episode of the Spurs Up Show. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.